episode 54 coming at you all you business and buckets listeners fans family what's up episode 54 and it's november baby it's almost 2022 i can't believe we're entering the holiday months of 2021 and i can't believe we're already this far through the football season but before we talk football before we talk sports let's talk the one and only sponsor at Business and Buckets, and that's Fueled Supplements. So the Business and Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. If you're an elite athlete, a busy mom on the go, or just looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. So whether you guys are trying to run a, a 4040, lift over 400 pounds, or just enjoy life for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly to your specific goals. So head to FueledSupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. So through the NFL, man, what a wild week. One of the craziest weeks I have off the top of my head from memory, and this doesn't even cover everything. But let's go through last week's timeline of just some of the chaos that had happened. Well, Monday of last week, the Von Miller trade to the Rams was announced, which we had talked about on episode 53. You know, Von Miller didn't play last week in, in his first potential week with the team, uh, and they suffered the loss. Surprising loss, in my opinion. Uh, but that was some pretty crazy news before the trade deadline, right? Heading into Tuesday, we had the Henry Ruggs incident in Vegas going 156 miles an hour through Vegas streets. Streets, I would say that's a pretty wild situation as well. Um, you know, we've hit home on this a little bit. I don't think I need to make this a, a Henry Rugg show in the morning, but pretty crazy thing, not fun for any parties involved. Going into Wednesday, Aaron Rodgers tests positive for COVID. That's pretty wild if you ask me. Um, I have Devontae Adams in my fantasy team. That was brutal. You know, tr you know, do you pick the Packers? Do you not? Uh, but pretty crazy situation. Jordan Love's getting an opportunity. Now there's rumors with how this is being handled. Uh, should Rodgers get suspended? Should there be more rep rep repercussions? Uh, but seems like he is probably 60% in for playing this week. Head over to Thursday. Uh, basically, OBJ cut by the, the, the Browns. You know, fast forward through the week. He doesn't even get claimed off waivers. He's still a free agent. And it seems like he needs to take a few days to, to figure out his decision, which in my opinion just means that, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of interest for, for OBJ. So then going into Friday, uh, we had the Rogers conversation and his, you know, um, woke mob conversation talking about, um, how people are handling his situation with COVID, uh, how his mindset is and that everyone is, is a different personal case. And then going into Vegas, we're, you know, looking at all the situations with um, what's actually transpired from the Henry Rugg situation, just all the stuff that really, honestly, that the, the, the Raiders have had a, to deal with. And this doesn't even talk about the, the actual trade deadline. We, we aren't even talking about uh, what has transpired from this past week. But wanted to start with that because it's just been a crazy week in the NFL, and you would think the trade deadline would bring more news, but just a lot of a lot of drama in the NFL world. So 
With some other news in the NFL, Russell Wilson is cleared to play. He's going to be back in action for the Seahawks that still have potential opportunity for the playoffs, in my opinion, looking at the rest of the season schedule. And honestly, once he was originally ruled out, I didn't think he'd be able to come back this fast. And I didn't expect they'd be in playoff position. But hey, it's the NFL. We'll see what happens. That's a very, very tough division. And then uh, Mike McGlinchey suffers a torn quad. He's going to be out for the year. Really good lineman. That's not good for anybody. Uh, there's been lots of crazy injuries this year, but being out for the year is no fun. Uh, the Raiders, how about their drafting? You know, outside of Henry Ruggs, uh, they tried to trade uh, Clellan Farrell, who they drafted first round, which made absolutely no sense to me. It was definitely a reach. Uh, they released Damon Arnett, the first-round cornerback from Ohio State from the 2020 draft, now without Henry Ruggs. Um, John Gruden, no longer a part of the, 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 the franchise. Pretty crazy that you get Mayock, you get Gruden. Everyone's wanting to know what's going to happen. And now here we are. The Raiders still in playoff position, but going through a lot of stuff, and they're drafting. Not looking so pretty. With that, Henry Ruggs was released by the Raiders, and they did sign Deshaun Jackson, who was basically mutually agreed with the Rams to part ways. He wasn't getting the snaps that he wanted, uh, much like the Melvin Ingram situation in Pittsburgh. So he goes to the Raiders. I expect him to make pretty good impact this year, as Derek Carr has a nice long ball. Um... I actually added Deshaun Jackson fantasy just to see what happens. Jet safety Marcus May tears Achilles. He'll be out for the year. Uh, tough loss for a really good uh, defensive back for the Jets. D Ford on the IR for the 49ers. The 49ers just can't get rid of the injury issues through the past few years. Reminding me a little bit of uh, my uh, Los Angeles Anaheim Angels uh, as they're always battling injuries every year. Uh, Christian Kirksey on the IR. He's been on, you know, injury list the past few years, so not too surprised, but uh, definitely a good piece there for Houston. The Browns loving their offensive line with another extension. They signed Joel Betonio, Betonio for a three-year, $48 million extension. Uh, meanwhile, the Panthers' offensive line and headlines just aren't quite as positive. Uh, the Panthers lose Matt Paradis uh, for, for the season with the torn ACL. That's not great losing their starting center that's been this far through the season as we enter week 10. They also uh, have their left guard on IR. And then Darnold officially out four to six weeks with that shoulder injury he's been nursing. So the Panthers reportedly are looking in at Cam Newton. Do I expect much to happen there? Not really, but their quarterback play, they got Barkley, they had P.J. Walker. Hasn't looked very good. So, hey, you know, might be an opportunity someone who's been on the, the system uh, and, and is probably – somewhat of a familiar face, but the Panthers who I had is a sneaky playoff pick with these injuries. I just don't expect them. I don't have much expectations for them the rest of the year. Uh, the Packers as a team getting fined 300 K for breaking COVID protocols. Um, I believe it was Lazard, Alan Lazard and Aaron Rodgers find like 14 K themselves um, through all the situation. Now the NFL is looking to make protocols that if you aren't vaccinated, you have to be masked at all times which will then definitely have the transparency, who's vaxxed, who's not. And uh, it's just going to be a political fucking shit show that I'm not excited about. Regardless, I'm glad that my team is majority, from what I know, vaxxed, and I don't have to worry about guys dropping like flies and having to miss crucial weeks. And then this Monday Night Football, we had Steelers, we had Bears. Love when my team's in prime time. Uh, the Steelers rocking. The Color Rush jersey is one of my favorite jerseys in football, and they 
continually crush on Monday night, continually crush in those jerseys. Uh, it was a little bit closer than I liked. But this is weird. Steve Levy had a claim that Najee Harris slept on his dorm in college and not on the bed because he was homeless. It was better for his back. Najee right immediately, you know, I'm listening to all the post-game stuff. I see Najee on Twitter like, hey, yo, this is whack. So obviously after the game, he went back and was watching it to see what they're probably saying about the team, what the analyst viewpoints are. And um, he's like, yo, this is whack. This is not true whatsoever. Steve Levy has since apologized on Twitter. But, dude, you're broadcasting Monday Night Football. Where in the hell are you getting this data first off or this information? And that you have the confidence to speak this on air without confirming it. That's pretty ballsy and unprofessional in my experience, especially being you know a, a college journalism major, being in the industry. I want to have the balls to do that, especially with all these woke movements, cancel cultures, everything else. Monday Night Football people can't seem to keep a job. Brutal look if you're Steve Levy to be having claims like that. I mean, that's just... You know, there's no respect there. I think that's a little brutal. Who, where the hell did you get this, you know, information, and how did you not confirm that? Had to bring that up because that just blew my mind. Um, weird abuse case here for Dalvin Cook. First, what I saw reported, anyways. I have bajillion streams of of notifications. If you look at my phone, I always have a bunch of things going on, but it's all sports related most of the time. And I saw a report that Dalvin Cook was filing an ish, uh, a claim of you know abuse, emotional, physical with, a rela- with his relationship partner. And then all of a sudden I see reports that she was trying to then uh, file the same claim on him. It looks super murky. I don't think there's going to be anything that happens that affects Dalvin Cook's playing time in the near future. Dalvin Cook's lawyer even came out and said that the woman tried to extort him for money. So I don't know. It, it's pretty messy, but... You know, where your name is headlined, usually great things don't happen. So brutal news for Dalvin Cook, who is my favorite running back in football. And um, if you're a fantasy guy, that's your top two pick. Sheesh, that's no bueno. Hopefully it's all right, though. Um, OBJ, as I had mentioned, um, cleared waivers, is a free agent, taking some time. Looks like the Packers, Seahawks, and Patriots are the front runnings. Uh, we'll be interesting to see what happens here. Packers said they could only give the vet minimum. I haven't heard about the Seahawks or Patriots offers, but I'm sure no one's really trying to take on a lot of salary here. I would like to see him with the Saints. Uh, I don't really care about him. Maybe the Packers, maybe the Seahawks. I don't really care. I don't want him to go to the Patriots, though. Now let's look back at my playoff predictions. We'll look back on them, see how things are going now that we're on the second half of the season. Things that I miss, things that I that I hit, and things that I would change. So, two teams that I didn't have making the playoffs. First off, that as I looked and predicted the rest of the season from here, the Saints and Seahawks potentially right in the mix for those last wild card spots, where I had Vikings and Panthers in there. I do have faith that the Vikings have an opportunity to get in there, but the Panthers not, you know, no Darnold, no lineman. Uh, it's brutal, at, you know. Darnold has been getting a lot of slack. I don't think he's been playing very well. But when you have no offensive line, it's hard to judge the play there. So uh, very brutal, you know, after, what, a 4-3-1 and one start, 4-0 and oh start. Brutal situation that they're in. They've made some trades to be competitive. They were never going to be an all-in team this year anyways, but still bummer as they had that momentum moving. And obviously, CMC can't stay healthy. Now he's involved. It's like, how much do you actually play him? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a mess. Um, I had... 
Well, it looks like the Colts, Patriots, Ravens, Chiefs, and Broncos are going to be fighting for playoff spots in the AFC. Out of that group, I had predicted that the Ravens, Patriots, and Broncos would be in. I didn't have the Bengals, Colts, and Chargers. Uh, with the Titans and the situation that they're at, the Colts definitely have life. Uh, the Bengals have just had such a great start. You would expect them to get in. And the Chargers are looking good as well. I had Bengals and Chargers, honestly, a year out. I didn't have confidence in the Colts' health. I still am not sure if the Colts will get in or not. Uh, but that's kind of what it's looking like in the AFC and where I had missed. We're in the NFC. It's a little bit more clear-cut. I had Vikings and Panthers looking like Saints and Seahawks. As long as Russell Wilson could play health, health, and healthfully with some good play. So week nine, I went five and nine on the week. If you're a Vegas better, you like to bet on football. I couldn't assume you had an amazing week as pretty much anyone that you thought would win didn't. Sure, I liked picking some upsets here and there as well. But this week was just straight fucking chaos, man. So I was five and nine, worst week of picks thus far, but I am 85 and 53 on the season. So holla at your boy, looking pretty good. Um, but let's talk last week's action. Let me have a little sip of this coffee that's burning my mouth so I could get caffeinated for y'all. That shit hot. Sheesh. I mean, that's what happens when you have a, a Yeti, right? This ain't going to cool down anytime soon. So. The theme of these barn-burning Thursday night football games. I watched this one for a little bit, but I wasn't as into it. I didn't expect it to be too competitive. Especially when Mike White gets out and you're inserting Josh Johnson. I've seen his name floating around a little bit, but I forgot that he was even in the league. This guy's been playing since 2009. I remember his days in Tampa. I remember um, he had a pretty good year with Washington. It was pretty crazy to see. That that's who they have. And he played pretty good ball. Well, the Colts on Thursday night, I would say the score looked closer than the game was. Uh, but they pretty much handled the Jets. They won 45-30. to 30. Uh, Josh Johnson, 27-41, 317 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. He did have 103 rating. Mike White was 7-11 for 11 before leaving. I'm pretty sure they confirmed that Mike White will be playing this week. So he'll be back in action. Uh, Zach Wilson doesn't seem like they want to get him into the mix anytime soon. They traded for Joe Flacco, and he's just just good old shelf Joe Flacco. Um, Michael Carter led the team in rushing, 13 carries, 49 yards, 3.8 average, nothing crazy there. And the receiving core led by the, if you're a Jets fan, highly anticipated early round pick, Elijah Moore. Seven catches, 84 yards, and two tutties on the day. Ty Johnson, kind of the Swiss Army knife, ran for 21 yards, had 40 receiving yards with a touchdown as well. So getting getting some pay dirt there. He did lose a fumble. For the Colts, Carson Wentz continuing to play pretty consistent football. 22 for 30, 272, three touchdowns for 134.3 rating. Must be the hard knocks, right? He's got the hard knocks, all cameras on him. And hey, with the Titans in the situation they are, the Colts are a floater for sure. And a lot of it's because this man right here, Jonathan Taylor, 19 carries, 172 yards, two tutties. He also had 28 yards receiving, while Michael Pittman, uh, wide receiver number one, five catches, 64 yards, and a tutty. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, this guy proves me in and out. Each year with fantasy, what backs do I want to go with? Who's going to have you know, health issues? Who's going to have that longevity? who's going to be a, a focal point of the offense. 
And honestly, coming out of college, Jonathan Taylor was one of my favorite players. With his size and what I had seen translate to the league, though, I didn't think he'd be able to handle loads like this, where he's getting this many yards. I mean, he averaged 9.1 yards per carry. That shit's insane. But he's usually been getting 20-plus carries. He's been a focal point in the offense, and he hasn't been hurt. So, bravo, golf claps, Mr. Jonathan Taylor doing the damn thing. Uh, defensively for the Colts, Bobby Okariki always getting double-digit tackles. He had 11 tackles with a pass defended. Taylor Stallworth with two sacks on the day. To be honest, I have no idea who that is. He is a defensive tackle from South Carolina. He was. This is his third year. Bravo, Mr. Taylor Stallworth. I mean, the Jets offensive line, probably nothing to, to be stoked about. But two sacks on the day. He also had a pass defended and three QB hits. So he was owning someone on Thursday. Uh, for the Jets, C.J. Mosley, the big-time free agent acquisition. Ten tackles on the day. They did get a sack on uh, one sack on Wentz. And then Bobby Okariki, also with an interception. The big man with an interception for the Colts. Have a day, Bobby. Have a day. For the team stats, the Colts 5 of 10 on third down. The Jets 8 of 14. Decent lines for both of them. The Jets were 1-1 one on, one on fourth. The Colts 1 of 2. Yardage-wise, the Colts were out out-yarded the Jets by about 50 yards and won the turnover battle 2-0 to zero while out-possessing the Jets by a whopping f minute. So that's how we started the week. The Colts moved to 4-5, and five, the Jets 2-6. and six. The Jets playing somewhat decent ball, and these journeymen backup quarterbacks playing a decent ball as well. So heading into Sunday morning, I get to enjoy this Sunday. You know, pray to the fantasy gods that I get a victory. But I get to enjoy the Sunday without Steelers football as their prime time on Monday Night Football. So as a Steelers fan, my first spine set is, well, we got to watch this big AFC North matchup, right? Browns, Bengals. I originally picked the Browns. I can't remember who I picked for you guys on the pod. I think I picked the Bengals. But I had originally switched this, my final pick being the Bengals at home. I was just a little concerned. I didn't have the balls to make the, the big brother, little brother move here. And it bit me in the ass. The Browns completely owned the Bengals after the Steelers' defense shut down Nick Chubb. That run game ran through all the Ohio holes they could find in the Battle of Ohio as the Browns win 41-16. to And this AFC North, man, it is competitive. The Browns moved to 5-4. and four, The Bengals 5-4. and four, The whole division right there over 500. And Baker playing decent ball in the day. He was 14-21, 218, two touchdowns. He didn't have to do too much because this guy looked healthy back in action. You know, you, you, you might have thought Dearness Johnson looked good. He might get some carries, no cream hunt. Well, Nick Chubb, only 14 carries, but 137 yards of two touchdowns. He, he, he said, Jonathan Taylor, I see you. Let me do better than you with a 9.8 per carry average. He had a long run on 70 on the day. And he also put in 26 receiving yards. As the receiving core didn't have a big day outside this one big play to Donovan Peoples-Jones. Two catches, 86 yards, and a touchdown. He had that 60-yard touchdown reception. Uh, one of my friends had added Donovan Peoples-Jones, and I was convincing him to start someone else. He started Donovan Peoples-Jones. Props to you, Dave. Props to you. For the Bengals, Joe Burrow, 28 for 40. Yeah, it's tough when you throw the ball 40 times or 40-plus times, but that's nothing new for the Bengals. Uh, 282 yards. He had two picks for a 69 rating. Meanwhile, Joe Mixon still being involved. 13 carries, 64 yards, two touchdowns. 
He averaged five yards per carry. And T. Higgins led the way this time. Six catches, 78 yards. No receivers with touchdowns. Um, quite a bit of fumble action within the game. No picks. Actually, I lied. The Browns had Denzel Ward and John Johnson the third, the free agent from L.A. Rams, uh, with an interception on the day. Anthony Walker with 14 tackles, 12 of them solo. A sack, tackle for loss, and a QB hit. Have a day, sir. Uh, Troy Hill with two sacks. I mean, they, they must have been blitzing the shit out of him. Miles Garrett with the sack and a half, as he is, I believe, a half a sack in the lead for the for the NFL. And then defensively for the Bengals, uh, the Bungles got two sacks on the day. Nothing too noteworthy. I'll, I'll give a shout-out to Logan Wilson just because I can. Wyoming represent, he still had six tackles. But the Bengals bungling a little bit. will be interesting to see if this is a trend to keep an eye on or if this was a one-week AFC North thing. But at home, that's tough. That's tough. So moving on, a game that I thought would give me all the fantasy riches as I own Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, and CeeDee Lamb in different leagues was not so much. The Broncos straight up stomped the Cowboys 30-16. to That high-powered Cowboys offense did not exist. And you would think, no, Von Miller, um, they're out without, what, Justin Simmons or someone big in their secondary. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm thinking the Cowboys offense going to roll that day. Well, that, that Broncos defense, either they knew they needed to get rid of Von Miller and they have some players behind them, or they just had a big-time game. Teddy Bridgewater, 19-28, uh, 249 and a touch. Javante Williams, the rookie, looking great, man. 17 carries for 111, 6.5 per carry. Melvin Gordon still leading the, the backfield in touches. 21 carries, 80 yards, and a touchdown. He averaged 3.8 on the day. Uh, meanwhile, the receiving core was led by Mr. Tim Patrick. Four catches for 84, 85 yards and a touchdown. For the Broncos, most of this garbage time stats. Dak finishes 19-39, 232, two touchdowns and a pick. While Zeke only had 51 yards on 10 carries. And the leading receiver was tight end Dalton Schultz. Four catches, 54 yards. But Malik Turner, of all people, with two touchdowns on the day. Um, defensively, Caden Stearns got uh, the interception for the Broncos. The Broncos had Jonathan Cooper, the technical insert new player, defensive rusher for the Broncos over Va uh, Von Miller. So he gets two sacks, two QB hits on the day. Jonathan Cooper, have a day, sir. And for the Broncos, Leighton Vander Esch, 12 tackles. He's flying around. And this man right here, Mika Parsons, man, 10 tackles, two and a half sacks, three tackles for a loss, and three QB hits. And people are saying, do you draft him? Absolutely, you do. Uh, what a stud. Other than that, for the team stats, the Broncos were 8-15 on third. They out-yarded the Cowboys by 100 they won the turnover battle 2-0 to zero and outpossessed them 41 minutes to 18, so over 20 minutes. That's wild. That is wild. Not one that I saw coming. But that's why the NFL is so fun. If you know, you don't know. If you think you know, you don't know. And then how about this game? I'm sure the ratings were out the roof as the Dolphins escape the Texans with Tyrod Taylor back in action. 17-9. Uh, I think there was one touchdown, a shit ton of turnovers. The Texans one and eight. Dolphins moved to a, a very pristine two and seven. 
Well, Tyrod, 24 for 43, 240 yards, but three picks on the day. The the backfield, which is just a jubilation of, what should I say, purgatory backs. <laughs> they had Phillip Lindsay leading the way, eight catches or eight um, rushes, 28 yards for a 3.5 average. Brandon Cooks typically leading the receiving core. He does again, six for 56. No Tua, Jacoby Brissett, 26 of 43, 244, a touchdown and two picks. Miles Gaskin, 20 carries for 34 yards for a very bad 1.7 average. He did find the end zone for the score. And Jalen Waddle, the speedster, uh, leads the way. Eight catches, 83 yards. On, on the defensive side, a bunch of fumbles lost by the Dolphins. One by Jacoby, one by Gaskin, one by Javon Holland. Um, Justin Coleman, Jerome Baker, Javon Holland with picks for Miami. Eric Murray, Malik Collins for picks for the Texans. Um, other than that, Navelle Hewitt for the Texans with 10 tackles. Uh, Jordan Jenkins with a sack and a half. And Emmanuel Ogba with two and a half sacks for Miami. I don't think I watched a second of this game and I have Sunday ticket. I know I was watching that Browns-Bengals game. It got out of hand and I went to the Vikings-Ravens game. But I, don't, I didn't see any highlights from this game. For the team stats, the Dolphins actually 9-16 on third. The Texans 6-17 with 1-1 one one on fourth down. Yardage-wise, the Texans actually out-yardage the, the Dolphins by one. But they lost the turnover battle. They were minus one, or they were actually plus one. The Dolphins had five turnovers. The Texans four. But the Dolphins outpossessed them by three minutes. And somehow find a way with five turnovers to get the dub. So another surprise here after the Saints look good. Obviously, the QB situation's up in air. Uh, they do have Trevor Simeon as a starter, but Taysom Hill's back in the at, in the mix. And the Falcons get into 500. Matty Ice leading the way. The Falcons beat the Saints 27-25 as they're 500. The, the Saints 5-3. So Matty Ice 23-30, 343, and two touchdowns for 135.8 rating. The backfield was led, well, split by Mike Davis and Corderell Patterson. Davis had nine carries, 13 yards for a 1.4 average. It's been tough sledding for him. Corderell Patterson, nine carries, 10 yards, 1.1 average. Brutal against that very good Saints defense. But Corderell Patterson, they're finding a way, man. Arthur Smith's finding a way to give this guy the ball. Six catches, 126 yards. Meanwhile, Olamide Zacchaeus with two touchdowns for the, for the, uh, the Falcons. For the Saints, Simeon, 25 of 41, 249 and two touchdowns. Played decent ball in the loss. Kamara, 13 carries for 50 yards. Only had a 3.8 average and a touchdown. And Mark Ingram's back. Your boy, the hype man. Nine carries, 43 yards. He averaged 4.8. Uh, Kamara did lead the team in receiving as he goes over 100 all-purpose with 54 receiving yards. Um, Simeon did lose a fumble. No interceptions. Uh, the Saints got two, got two sacks on Matty Ice. Meanwhile, the Falcons got one on Simeon and Deion Jones with 10 tackles, two passes defended, and a QB hit. The team stats, the Saints a terrible 3-10 of 10 on third. The, the Falcons not much better at 5-13. They both went 0-1 for 1 on fourth down conversions. Yardage-wise, the Saints out-yarded the Falcons by 10 yards, lost a turnover battle 1-0. And outpossessed the Falcons by five minutes. That division's kind of messy. A division is you just never know in, in, the, in that in that division. 
A little AFC NFC action. The Raiders, with all the drama going on, could not find a way to beat the Giants. This one was a, a brutal pick loss for me. 23 to 16. The Giants now move to three and six. The Raiders five to three. You know, a team like the Raiders, just like the Bengals, you win this, you, your season's in such a better place. So brutal losses. Danny Dimes, 15 to 20, 110 in a touch. Uh, Devontae Booker filling in for Saquon, Saquads Barkley. He had 21 carries for 99 yards. It's a 4.7 average. And then Evan Ingram leading the way for the for the receivers. The big tight end had 38 yards and a touch. So not a lot moving offensively. But they found a way to win because Derek Carr had two picks. He was 30 for 46. That's crazy. 46 attempts. 296 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Josh Jacobs, 13 carries for 76 yards. It's a 5.8 average. And Darren Waller, their tight end, leading the way. Seven catches, 92 yards. Daniel Jones did lose a fumble, as well as Derek Carr did. No inter or Xavier McKinney with the with two picks on the day for the Giants. Um, the Giants got it one sack. Meanwhile, uh, Denzel Perryman, the tackling machine, gets ten tackles with the pass defended, and Yannick Ngakwe looking like a great acquisition with two sacks again on the day. Another AFC NFC battle. Really big turning pivotal moment for the Panthers. Sam Darnold does end up playing, but they get slacked by the Patriots 24 to 6 as the Patriots move above 500 to 5 and 4 and the pa Panthers fall under at 4 and 5. Uh much much of a turnaround on their season as I believe they were 4 and 0. Uh but Mac Jones 12 of 18, 139 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Ramondre Stevenson before he got a concussion and left the game. Actually led the backfield with 10 carries for 62 yards, while Damian Harris had the most touches, 15 for 30, but only a two-yard average and a touchdown. And Stevenson actually led the way for the receiving as well, two catches, 44 yards. Boomer sooner, baby. Uh, for the Panthers, Sam Darnold, 16 to 33, 172 and three picks, 26.3 rating. He must have been seeing ghosts against Bill Belichick again, and it ended potentially could have ended a season. Uh, McCaffrey, 14 carries, 52 yards for a 3.7 average. And obviously, who led the receiving? CMC, four catches, 54 yards. So Stevenson with over 100 all-purpose. McCaffrey as well. That was pretty much the extent of their offenses. Uh, Mac Jones did lose a fumble. J.C. Jackson with two picks as he leads all corners, defensive backs with picks since 2017 or 2018. Uh, Jamie Collins coming back, getting a pick. And you know who had to get some revenge. Stephon Gilmore picking off Mac Jones, saying, hey, gotcha, boys. Um, for the team defense, the Patriots were able to sack Donald only once. Um, the Panthers, Brian Burns with a sack and a half. Shaq Thompson, ex-Husky, with 10 tackles, tackle for loss. And Jeremy Chin with 11 tackles and two tackles for a loss. Team statistically, there wasn't a lot, I'm sure. The Panthers, 3 for 11 on third, 0 for 1 on fourth. The Pats, 6-14, 1-for-1 on 4th, out-yarded the uh, Panthers by 33, lost the turnover, or won the turnover battle 3-2, and out-possessed the Panthers by 5 minutes. Moving on, another Sunday morning, just head-scratcher. I mean head-scratcher. The Jaguars, brutal underdogs, find a way to win. Urban Meyer might be keeping his job. I doubt it, but hey, they find a way to win by field goals, 9-6 over the AFC favorite Buffalo Bills. 
The Bills are five and three. Meanwhile, Jacksonville two and six. So how do you beat the Bills? Well, you let them throw a ton of times like they will. You force mistakes, and you get to Josh Allen. Uh, he was 31 of 47, 264 yards and two picks, was sacked four times on the day. Uh, he did lead the team in rushing, five carries, 50 yards, while Singletary had six carries for only 16 yards, which is a 2.7 average. And Stephon Diggs leading the receiving core for the Bills, six catches, 85 yards. For the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, 15 of 26, 118 yards. He did have an injury scare left. C.J. Bethard came in, and then he came back. Uh, Carlos Hyde, the bell cow with James Robinson out. 21 carries for 67 yards. That's a 3.2 average. And their favorite new tight end, Dan Arnold, four catches, 60 yards to lead the receiving. Uh, Carlos Hyde did lose a fumble as well as Josh Allen on the day. And Josh Allen sacking Josh Allen and picking him off. Uh, the first Josh Allen on Josh Allen crime. I believe the first time a same-name player got stats on the same-name player. Um, Mr. Josh Allen with eight tackles, a sack, two tackles for a loss, a pass defended, QB hit in that interception. Uh, Taven Bryan also with two sacks for the Jags. Defensively for the Bills, they got to Mr. Trevor Lawrence twice. But that's really it. Not a lot of stats done on this day as the Jags win when they were only 2 for 13 on third down, the, the Bills 6 of 15, they were 0 for 1 on fourth. The Jaguars did get two fourth down conversions, 2 for 2. But yardage-wise, the uh, Bills out-yarded the Jags by 82. They lost the turnover battle 3 to 1 to the Jaguars, but outpossessed them by a minute. Not a lot that I watched on that game either. I kept looking at the score expecting the Bills to just separate. What a crazy Sunday. This game was a lot of fun. Went into overtime. This is probably what I had my eyes on most in the morning games. The Vikings somehow find a way to lose to the Ravens. The Ravens somehow find a way to win another close game they shouldn't have. Ravens win 34-31. They move to 6-2 as the Vikings down to 3-5. They've had a lot of brutal losses. Well, Kirk Cousins was 17-28, 187 and two touchdowns. Dalvin Cook had 17 carries for 110 for a 6.5 average, I would have found a way to give him more carries. Uh, Justin Jefferson led the team with receiving yards for three catches, 69 yards, and a tutty. For the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, 27 for 41, 266 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks for an 88 rating. But on the ground, he ran free, 21 carries, 120 yards, as the team ran for 247. The old Dusty Backs playing pretty good ball on this day. Devonta Freeman, 13 carries, 79 yards. It's a 6.1 average. And Le'Veon Bell getting some carries, double digits. 11 carries, 48 yards. It's a 4.4 average. And he found the fucking end zone. Le'Veon fucking Bell. Well, Hollywood Brown, nine receptions, 116 yards. A lot of those were in overtime. Uh, Cameron Bynum and Anthony Barr with the picks for the Vikings. Eric Kendricks, 18 tackles. Cameron Bynum, 12 tackles, one pass defended. And Cameron Dancer, uh, Dance Lur with 10 tackles on the day. Sheldon Richardson with a sack and a half. For the Ravens, Josh Bynes with 11 tackles. Um, statistically, the teams, Ravens 6 of 15 on third. The Vikings 5 of 14. 
They both went for fourth a lot. The Vikings were three for or two for two. The Ravens three for three. The Ravens out yarded the Vikings by about two hundred, even though they lost the turnover battle two to zero, and they outpossessed the Vikings by twenty three minutes. They like to run the ball. They like to run the ball. Another team that likes to run the ball couldn't get the victory. The Chargers beat the Eagles twenty seven to thir- uh, twenty four. The Chargers five and three. The Eagles three and six. Justin Herbert thirty two of thirty eight, three fifty six, two touchdowns. Have a day. Uh, Austin Eckler led the backfield, seventeen carries, fifty nine yards. Justin Herbert had a touchdown on the ground as well. And Keenan Allen leading the way, twelve catches on thirteen targets for one hundred four yards. A lot of that intermediate throws, as it was only an eight point seven average. For the Eagles, Hurts eleven of seventeen, one hundred sixty two and a touch. Jordan Howard actually leading the way today, or this day, 17 carries for 71 yards and a touchdown. That's a 4.2 average. Hertz had 62 yards, and Boston Scott with 10 carries for 40 yards. Meanwhile, Kenneth Gainwell, not much in the mix, only two carries for three yards, but he did vulture a touchdown. Uh, Devontae Smith, little Alabama connection, five catches, 116 yards and a touchdown to lead the way. For the... Um, Eagles defense, TJ Edwards with 14 tackles. They had no sacks on the day. Meanwhile, the Chargers were able to get to Jalen Hurts one time. But Andre Robert, or excuse me, no no, no error there. on. I was going to say an interception, but there was none. So the Eagles go 8 of 12 on third down and lost. Meanwhile, the Chargers 5 of 10 on third, but they out-yarded the Eagles by 110. That there was no turnovers, but the Chargers out yarding the Eagles by seven or out possessing them by seven minutes. So as we move into the afternoon games, no Aaron Rodgers, the Jordan Love debut, the Chiefs not looking very good, but they find a way to win a much needed win, thirteen to seven over the Packers. The Chiefs five and four, pack seven and two. Jordan Love nineteen to thirty four, hundred ninety yards, touchdown pick was sacked once for a 69.5 rating. He looked like a pretty lethargic backup quarterback in his debut, in my opinion, from what I saw. I didn't watch the full game. There was nothing like, no big shots, no like, ooh, ahs for me. Uh, But it's his debut in a not prepared situation. So uh, take that with a grain of salt. Aaron Jones, 12 carries, 53 yards to lead the way. That's a 4.4 average. Randall Cobb led the receiving core, three catches, 50 yards. The high-flying offense for the Chiefs wasn't as high-flying. Patty Mahomes, 20 for 37, 166 and a touchdown. No picks on the day. Uh, Darrell Williams, 19 carries for 70 yards. That's a 3.7 average. And Travis Kels leading the way with five catches for 68 yards and a touchdown. Um, defensively, Legereus Sneed with the pick for Kansas City. They got to Jordan Love one time. And for the Packers, they got one sack on Pat Mahomes. Statistically, the Chiefs 5 of 14 on third, 1 for 2 on fourth. The Packers 2 of 12, 2 for 3 on fourth. Uh, they outyarded the Chiefs by 70, lost the turnover battle 2 to 0, and outpossessed the Chiefs by 3 minutes. Kind of a weird game in the afternoon. Another weird game without a starting quarterback. No Kyler Murray, no DeAndre Hopkins. You'd think the 49ers would find a way. Well, they got smoked. I mean, smoked. 
The Cardinals win 31 to 17. They are eight and one. While the my Super Bowl pick 49ers, but the very injury riddled Niners, three and five on the season. Colt McCoy, man, 22 of 26, 249 and a touchdown for 119.4 rating. Is this Texas? Oh, no, this is Arizona. Uh, James Conner running the ball 21 times for 96 yards, two touchdowns. This man has been a touchdown machine. Love seeing him do well. Christian Kirk, six catches, 91 yards to lead the receiving core for the Cardinals. James Conner, though, sneaky, 77 yards receiving with a touchdown as well. He had a 45-yard reception and a 35-yard run. For the Niners, Jimmy G, 28 for 40, 326, two touchdowns and a pick. Actually had a pretty solid afternoon. There wasn't a lot to be done on the run game. Elijah Mitchell, eight carries, 36 yards. I thought the Niners and Shanahan were a running team. I didn't watch a lot of this game. That's just a little confusing to me. I would assume that they would focus on the run. But George Kittle... Back in action, six catches, 101 yards and a touchdown. Brandon Ayuk with 89 yards and a touchdown as well. Kittle and Ayuk lost fumbles on the day. Buda Baker with the pick for the for the Cardinals. The Cardinals were able to get quite a bit of sacks. They had five sacks, three of which were by Marcus Golden. Marcus Golden's having a year, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see if this will pull up his season stats for me. 29 tackles, 9 sacks, 4 forced fumbles on the season. The second round pick of 2015 at 30 years old having a season. Um, defensively for the Niners, Fred Warner, always a tackling machine, 13 tackles. Eric Armstead, 10 tackles, 1 sack, a tackle for loss, and a QB hit. Statistically, the Niners were 4 of 10 on third. The Cardinals 7-15 and 1-for-2 on 4th down. They out-yarded the Niners by 100 with Colt McCoy-led offense, and they won the turnover battle as they had 0 turnovers, the Niners 3, and they outpossessed the Niners by 13 minutes. Weird game script for the Niners. I'm not too sure what's going on. They need to just play Shanahan football, and that's not what I'm seeing. So Sunday night, let's get back to normal C. You know, no no King Henry. I would assume the LA Rams handle business. Well, the Titans wanted to be seven and two just like the, the Rams. So they beat the Rams 28 to 16 as they're both seven and two. Tannehill 19 to 27, 143, a touchdown and a pick. He was sacked three times. Donta Foreman led the backfield, ladies and gents. With only five carries for 29 yards, it's a 5.8 average. But how about AD back in action? Boomer Sooner, baby. This is the guy that made me become a Sooner fan. 10 carries, 21 yards, 2.1. And he got a touchdown. Hell yeah. AJ Brown leading the receiving core with only 42 yards on five receptions. For the Rams, a messy game. Matt Stafford, 31 of 48. One touchdown, two picks. Was sacked five times. Darrell Henderson led the backfield. 11 carries, 55 yards. It's a five per carry average. And Robert Woods had seven catches for 98 yards. Cooper Cup, 11 for 95. On the defense, Jalen Ramsey with the pick. Kevin Byard, another one. Another one. David Long Jr. with the pick as well. Kevin Byard had the pick six. Um, Amani Hooker, 12 tackles on the day. Jeffrey Simmons with three sacks. Uh, Danico Autry with a sack and a half. Bud Dupree, zero things and a QB hit. Man, that guy... I think TJ Watt inflated his stats a little bit. 
All those sacks and Bud Dupree ain't to be seen. Uh, for the Rams, they were able to sack Tannehill three times. And statistically, the Rams were 4 of 15 on third, 2 for 3 on third down, fourth down conversions. The Tennessee Titans, not much better. 4 of 12 on third, but 2 for 2 on fourth. The Rams out-yarded the freaking um, Titans by 150, but lost the turnover battle 2 to 1 and outpossessed the Titans by five minutes. No King Henry, no problem. The Titans keep rolling, baby. And then Monday night, closer than it needed to be, crazy calls. You know, a lot of people talking about this rep, ref hip-checking old Cassius Marsh. Man, if you're a ref and you're running right by me, maybe it was just like moving, right? His arm hit his elbow. I don't know. It's a way bigger deal than it needed to be. Should there have been a taunting penalty? Probably by the rule, yes. Do I agree with it? Absolutely not. If it was on the Steelers, would I be pissed? 100%. You know, the taunting rules, they are the new rules. The refs are trying to abide by them. That's their job, whether the fans like it or not. I don't like it. I hate the taunting rules, but it looks like it's here to stay. So get used to it. Anyways, the Steelers on upset weekend. Find a way in the new week to stay uh, in the win column. They move their winning streak to four. They're five and three as they beat the Bears 29-27. The Bears fall to three and six. This is the first time in Mike Tomlin's tenure that they beat the Bears. And he passes the all-amazing, you know, Hall of Fame Bill Cower and wins all-time for the Steelers. And he's chasing up to Chuck Noll. He's still young, right? He started this head coaching job, one of the youngest coaches of all time. And the coaches get younger now. But hey, they found a way. Justin Fields playing decent ball, though, getting some momentum. He was 17-29, 291, a touchdown and a pick. David Montgomery had 13 carries for 63 yards. Back from the IR, that's a 4.8 average. Cole Komet becoming a pretty solid target for Fields. Six catches, 87 yards. For the Steelers, Big Ben, 21-30, 205, two touchdowns, was sacked four times. Najee Harris, who doesn't sleep on the floor, 22 carries for 62 yards, only a 2.8 average and a touchdown. Pretty solid Bears defense, even though they're without Khalil Mack and someone else. Uh, Deontay Johnson leading the team in receiving 56 yards on five catches. But the Rook, Pratt Fryermuth, Heath Miller 2.0, getting two touchdowns on 43 yards. Ray Ray McLeod and Jakeem Grant both losing fumbles for the Bears and Steelers. Cameron Hayward. Defensive player of the year candidate, in my opinion, with the pick for the Steelers. Um, TJ Watt should be defensive player of the year with seven tackles, three sacks, three tackles for a loss, a pass defended, and three QB hits. Defensively for the Bears, Raquan Smith, what a machine he is. 12 tackles, one sack, two tackles for a loss, and a QB hit as well. Uh, statistically, the Steelers were... 6-17 on third down, 2-for-2 two two on fourth down conversions. The Bears 4-12 on third. The Bears out-yarded the Steelers by about 130, lost the turnover battle 2-1, and the Steelers outpossessed the Bears by nine minutes. That's your slate for week nine. If anything's like week nine, this season about to be wild. I think the thing settled down a little bit. It's Thursday morning. We have the Thursday night football tonight. And another just amazing on-paper matchup. You're getting the 2-7 Dolphins hosting the 6-2 Ravens. Probably no Tua. It's looking like pray to the football gods. The Ravens finally lose a damn game. 
you know, ugly, good. However, they're finding ways to win. I need that Dolphins win, but I ain't betting on it. The Ravens, seven and a half point favorites on the road. I think it's going to be a little closer than that, but I do am seeing the Ravens winning this game. I'm going to a very impressive seven and two. So I'm taking the Ravens, not taking them to cover. Heading to Sunday morning, we have Cowboys hosting the Falcons. Cowboys, a nine point favorite after the showing of last week. I don't know if they're going to cover the nine, but I'm going to take them to win at home. The seven and two Saints hosting the five and three, seven and two Titans hosting the five and three Saints. This is going to be a fun one. They have the Titans with the three point favorite at home. I'm going to go with the Titans just because of the quarterback issues with the Saints. I do think it's going to be close, and the Saints might find a way to win here. But I'm going with the Titans, and I am taking them to not cover. The Colts hosting the two and six Jaguars. The Colts favored by ten and a half. Hard knocks starts next week in season. Hard knocks, so the Colts better show out. I'm going to take them. I'm going to take them not to cover, though. Ten and a half is a lot of points. Uh, really good game. The game that I'll probably be focusing on outside of the Steelers, even though when Steelers play, I don't really watch a lot of football. But the 5-4 and four Patriots hosting the 5-4 and four Browns. The Patriots, two and a half favorites at home. I'm going to go with the Browns as the dogs and the upset on the road as they go to 6-4. and four. They got to stay relevant in the AFC North. 2-6 uh, and six Jets hosting the 5-3 and three Bills. The Bills run through the Jets. They're a 12-point favorite. I don't think they cover the spread, but I think they're going to win as Mike White looks to be the starter. Wrapping up the afternoon with the last two games, the Steelers host the Lions, favored by 8.5. I'm going to take them, but I don't believe we're going to cover. Even though we're playing a winless team, we tend to play down to the competition. Uh, Washington hosting the Buccaneers, 2-6 and six Washington, 6-2 six and two Bucks. Bucks favored by 9.5. Heineke still the starter. I don't expect them to win. I don't think the Bucks will cover. So the afternoon, we got four games. The Cardinals, 8-1, hosting the 4-5 Panthers. Still to be determined on Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think they need them, though. That Panthers team is a fucking shit show. They're looking at Cam Newton. Would he play this week? I doubt it. But I'm going to go with the Cardinals. They're a 10.5-point favorite. I don't think they, they cover. So Panthers' D is somewhat solid. <laughs> The Chargers hosting the Vikings. Chargers favored by three. I'm going to go with another dog. The Vikings have to win this game. That's the only reason I'm picking them. I think they're experienced. Zimmer has got to be playing for his job at this point. they got to find a way. And the answer here against a not very good running defense is Dalvin Cook. Give him 25-plus carries. Look at the Titans. That's how they win. That's how you're going to win. Don't get, don't get clever. Don't try to make it too complicated. So I got two dogs on the day. Uh, Broncos hosting the Eagles. Five and four Broncos, three and six Eagles. Denver by two and a half. I'm going to take Denver in mile high. I'll take them to cover. I could you know, see them at least win by a field goal. Um, and then the Packers hosting the Seahawks. Lots of questions here. Aaron Rodgers, um, Lazard, both going to be probably not announced until I'm assuming maybe tomorrow, maybe Saturday. Uh, it is in Green Bay. Russell Wilson back. The Packers favored by three at this point. As long as Rodgers plays, I will give the Packers the nod. If not, I'm going Seahawks. But as of now, I'm picking Packers. Then Sunday night, a little AFC conference action. The Raiders hosting the Chiefs. The Chiefs, two and a half, favored, two and a half point favorites on the road. Primetime has been tough. The Ravens or the Raiders looking tough, but they're, they've had a lot of shit going on. I want to pick the Raiders, but I'm still going to go with the Chiefs. You know, my Super Bowl favorite. I just, they have too many weapons, man. You'd think they would find a way to figure it out. 
I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I'm going to take them to cover uh, on the road. And then Monday Night Football, the Niners, 3-5 and five hosting the Rams. Rams, four-point favorite on the road. I assume they'll have a bounce-back game with an extra day of rest after that pitiful performance. But boy, are things getting interesting in the NFL. I don't know if in the AFC you could really point to true contenders. And then the teams that you would think are true contenders, like the Rams, have a showing like they did. So, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. But let's talk some college football. Around the league, the Huskies fire their offensive coordinator and suspend their coach for a week without pay. I'm sure you saw the viral video of the coach. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, We're in a pretty soft era. You know, no one really knows the context of what was happening. I get it. The Huskies are screwed anyways. It's worth worthy of bringing up on the pod. I think it'll be all right. But the coach, Jimmy Lake, I don't know if he'll make it through the year. Uh, this morning, actually, UConn hiring Jim Mora as head coach, um, the aforementioned, you know, coach, coach in the NFL, coached at UCLA, see if he could bring any kind of relevance to UConn football. Uh, Coastal Carolina starting quarterback Grayson McCall most likely out for the year. Brutal loss for the Chanticleers. I always like rooting for those old FCS teams. And got to give this guy a shout out. I was going to do it last week. I totally spaced. But Justin Ford, the starting quarterback for your Montana Grizzlies, baby. Seven straight games with an interception. He's trying to show out, ladies and gents. He keeps on going. Hey, the Grizz got uh, Cam Humphrey back. There's Revelance College Game Day. Looks like it might be happening, yo. I'm excited. I'm excited. I hope they can do it. But none of it matters unless they beat the fucking cats at home. They don't do that. I'm never watching a Grizz game again. Come on, Bobby. Come on. Um, Anyways, the new college football uh, playoff rankings comes out. We're not going to look at the AP anymore. I'm strictly looking at what matters. This shit makes no sense to me, man. Michigan State loses. They beat Michigan, but fall under Michigan, who's 8-1. and And they're both ahead of Oklahoma. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. This shit don't make no sense to me. At the end of the day, though, like I said, Ohio State, Oklahoma went out. It's going to be Bama, Georgia, and them too. So with all this bullshit, we don't need to take it too big a consideration. It still don't make no sense to me. Teams that I have is overrated. And when I say overrated, doesn't mean I think there's trash. I shouldn't be in the rankings, but there's positions too high. First one, Oregon. How are you going to put a Pac-12 top four, let alone top three? That makes no sense. Um, they don't look that good to me. Cincinnati, I do think, is a little overrated at, at position number five. Um, I would think Oklahoma, Michigan, Michigan State, Oklahoma State, A&M, Baylor could beat all of the All these teams could beat them head-to-head. Michigan's overrated. I don't think their offense is worth a shit. I think they're like Penn State. They got a solid defense, a decent offense, but I'm not that big on them. Texas A&M, little overrated. I was impressed with their win this past week. I don't believe that they will be finishing in the top 15, though. Notre Dame, same thing. Easy schedule. They're not number nine. Wake Forest, overrated, 8-1. and one. They don't play a lot of competition. I would take a lot of the bottom half teams against them. I'd take Auburn against them, Ole Miss against them. I'd take Pittsburgh against them, Arkansas against them. Uh, Baylor, UTSA, I think those are pretty self-explanatory. North Carolina State. Purdue, Wisconsin, that Big Ten getting lots of action. Purdue gets the upset. All of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're shooting up in the rankings at number 19. Mm. 
And I'd also have to say Auburn's overrated at 17. They are down four spots, but I think there's better teams ahead. Underrated, not as many. Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Arkansas. Arkansas is 25. I think they should be higher. Ole Miss is 15. I think they should be top 10. And I would put Oklahoma in the top four. Call me biased, but I think it makes sense. So let's talk last week's slate in the FBS. Now that we have a new rankings, just to get us fired up. That's what I feel like it is. The rankings are for ratings. The ratings get us fired up, right? That's how it works. So week 10 action in the FBS. We'll start with FBS. You know I like me some FCS, but we talking FBS. On Friday, Boston College beats Virginia Tech 17-3. to Virginia Tech drops to 4-5. and Boston College 5-4. and after such a good start, Virginia Tech, I bring that up because it's it's been a brutal brutal path for them. And then in a the game that you would think would be decent on Friday, Stanford hosting Utah. Utah just smokes the shit out of Stanford. 52 to 7. I mean 52 to 7. Cameron Rising only 13 to 22, 140 yards. Why? Well, they ran for 441 yards. Led by Tavian Thomas, 20 carries, 177 yards, and four touchdowns. Are you kidding me? I saw that score fight, and I was like, holy shit. Anyways, Georgia rolls Missouri. No surprise here. Stetson Bennett, still the starting quarterback, 13 and 19, 220, or 255, and two touchdowns. JT Daniels did have some time. He was 7 of 11, 82 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. I personally think JT has a higher ceiling. He's getting mixed in a little bit, but what's going to happen? Big time games. That's the that's the kryptonite of Georgia. They're undefeated. That defense looks unstoppable. What about the QB play though? Alabama escapes LSU. Damn, I didn't even realize how close this game was. Um, twenty to fourteen. Bryce Young twenty four of thirty seven, three hundred and two yards and two touchdowns. The team only ran for six yards against that LSU defense, but Jamison Williams. That just sounds like some fucking whiskey, Jamison Williams. Uh, Ted catches 160 yards and a tutty. Moving on, Michigan State dropping to Purdue on the road. Yeah, I mean, Peyton Thorne, 20-30, 276, two touchdowns and a pick. Kenneth Walker did get 22 carries for 136 yards, which is still a 6.2 per average and a touchdown. But Aiden O'Connell, 40 for 54, 536 yards and three touchdowns. David Bell profiting on that. 11 catches, 217 yards, and a tutty. Oregon beating the Huskies by 10. Uh, most of this was due to Travis Dye running 28 times for 211 yards and a touchdown. Ohio State escapes Nebraska. You know, everyone's giving shit for Oklahoma barely beating Nebraska. Well, the Big Ten, come on, C.J. Stroud's barely beating Nebraska. He was threw the ball 54 times. He was 36 for 54, 405, two touchdowns and two two interceptions. They had a receiver go over 200 yards, and it wasn't Chris Olave. Jackson Smith, Najiba, 15 catches, 240 yards and a tutty. He had a 75-yard reception on the day. Cincinnati barely beats Tulsa. Tulsa's been playing teams tough, but, like, come on, they're overrated. Uh, Desmond Ritter, 15 to 23, 274, two touchdowns and a pick. He also ran the ball for 43 yards and a touchdown. Michigan beats Indiana 29-7. Uh, Cade McNam- McNamara, eight, 10 of 18, 168 yards and a tutty. Meanwhile, Hassan Haskins, 27 carries, 
168 yards and a tutty. What a fun game this was. Um, I had picked the Tar Heels to win, and they did so. Uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels beat Wake Forest, the undefeated Wake Forest team, 58-55. to Sam Hartman, 25 for 51, 398, five touchdowns, but two picks. Sam Howell, 16 to 26, 216 and a touchdown. He also ran the ball 104 times for two touchdowns. And Ty Chandler, 22 for 213 yards on the ground. That's a 9.7 average and four touchdowns on the day. Notre Dame beat Navy. Uh, Kyron Williams, 17 carries, 95 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Jack Cohen, 23 of 29, 269 and a, uh, a touch. Oklahoma State beats West Virginia 24-3. Spencer Sanders, 21-31, 182 yards and a, two touchdowns. Jalen Warren, 16 carries, 78 yards and a touch. And then Tay Martin, 7 receptions, 63 yards, two touchdowns. A little bit of an upset here. I'm not too high on Baylor, though. TCU, 30. Baylor, 28. Uh, Chandler Morris, ex-Oklahoma quarterback. Um, you know, all those number ones they get, he had to go somewhere else. He goes 29 of 41, 461 yards, two touchdowns, and runs the ball for 70 yards and a touchdown. I wish, I'm sure Gary Patterson's like, well, I wish we could have played him when I was the coach. Um, Texas A&M beats Auburn 20 to three. Uh, Zach Calzada, 15 for 29, 129 yards. And CJ Spiller, 21 carries, 112 yards. BYU rolls Idaho State 59-14 as expected. Ole Miss beats Liberty 27-14. A little closer than I expected. Malik Willis 16-25, 173 yards, but three touchdowns. Watch out, draft stock. Uh, Matt Corral, 20-27, 324 and a touchdown. Dennis Jackson, six catches, 126 yards and a touchdown for Mississippi. This Mississippi team wasn't as lucky, though. Arkansas beating Mississippi State 31-28. The Hogs back in the win column. K.J. Jefferson, 19-23, 191 yards and a tutty. Dominic Jackson, 107 yards on 17 carries with two touchdowns on the ground. Meanwhile, it was all passing, typical um, with Mississippi State. Will Rogers, 36-48, 417 yards, four touchdowns and a pick. Tennessee upsets Kentucky 45 to 42. This looks like a basketball game with the rankings, but it wasn't. Um, Kentucky now falls to six and three. North Carolina State, the ranked North Carolina State, beats Florida State 28 to 14. Devin Leary 21 to 32, 314 yards and four tutties. Minnesota back in the rankings, back out of the rankings. They lose to Illinois six to 14. Tough day for Tanner Morgan with two picks and that uh, Minnesota offense. Wisconsin beats Rutgers 52-3. Iowa escapes Northwestern with that pitiful offense 17-12. Boise State straight manhandles Fresno State to get them out of the rankings. Uh, Hank Bachmeyer 15-27, 283 yards and a tutty. And on the ground, George Holani 21 carries, 117 yards. Jake Hayner with three picks on the day. San Diego State beats Hawaii 17-10. Pittsburgh rolls over Duke 54-29. Your future Pittsburgh Steeler, Kenny Pickett, 28-43, 416 yards and four touchdowns. Jordan Addison with 171 yards and a tutty as well. Let's see. 
Miami beats Georgia Tech 33-30. to Tyler Van Dyke, 22 of 34, 389 yards, three touchdowns. He's looking good. And they finally use ex-Oklahoma receiver Charleston Rambo, seven catches, 210 yards, and a touchdown. You know, Van Dyke probably got the job. What is this, QB4? It's like, damn, I'm just going to give Rambo the ball. Makes sense. What else did we have on Saturday? Penn State beating Maryland 31-14. to Tua's brother, 41 of 57, 371 yards and a touchdown in defeat. But Jahan Dotson, future first-round receiver, 11 catches, 242 yards and three tutties for Penn State. My Wyoming Cowboys moving above 500, find a way to win in the little rivalry game against Colorado State. Levi Williams, 9-16, 92 yards and two touchdowns. They ran the ball for 385 yards. Titus Swen, 21 carries, 166 yards. It's a 7.9 per carry average. And Levi Williams with 116 yards and a touchdown on the ground as well. Go Cowboys. UCF escapes Tulane, 14-10. The Chanticleers beat Georgia Southern, 28-8, although Bryce Carpenters are starting quarterback. Let's see. Clemson beats Louisville. DJ is 18 for 30, 220, and two touchdowns. South Carolina rolls Florida 40 to 17. Florida's on a train wreck of a season. Emory Jones, 17 to 30, 258, two touchdowns. He also ran the ball for 26 yards. Iowa State steamrolling Texas. I thought this would be close. Uh, Brock Purdy, 27 to 38, 252 yards. Brees Hall, 19 carries, 136 yards, and two touchdowns. He'll be in the league, that's for sure. And then Arizona State on the nightcap, beating USC 31-16, to uh, even though JT Daniels threw for two picks. And the FCS world this past week, I believe there was a couple good games. These Ivy League teams, Dartmouth beating Princeton 31-7. to They're both 7-1. Let's see. <sighs> Sorry, some good scrolling here to see what's actually worth talking about. Sam Houston stays undefeated as the number one, 59-10 over Dixie State. <clears throat> the Ofer Dixie State. Delaware beats William & Mary 24-3. Um, Delaware is 5-4, William & Mary 6-3. Harvard beats Columbus 49-21. Illinois State beats Northern Iowa. Uh, 17 to 10. That's a big win. Um, tough loss for Northern Iowa as they were in the rankings. Isaiah Weston with 142 reception yards. The Salukis dropping again. They fall to six and three as they lose to Missouri State, 38 to 28. Uh, Nick Baker, 21 to 38, 262 yards and three touchdowns. For Missouri State, Kavon Latulis, seven carries, 104 yards and a tutty. And Xavier Lane, four catches for 110 yards. North Dakota barely beats Youngstown State, 24-21. East Tennessee beats VMI, 27-20. East Tennessee is 8-1, VMI 6-3. <clears throat> Yo, Grizz, Montana Grizz with Cameron Humphrey back in action, beats Northern Colorado, 35-0. Cam Humphrey was 19-25, 233 and 3 touchdowns. Sure, Northern Colorado, only 3-7, and seven, but huge stats for him in the comeback. Um, still nursing some running back issues. 
Junior Bergeron, eight carries for 64 yards. It's an eight per carry average. And Mitch Roberts leads the team in receiving yards with 74 on seven catches. But Samuel Akam back in the red zone, baby. Two touchdowns and your boy, Justin Ford, with the pick. Uh, Villanova beats Elon 35-0 as they move to 7-2. Portland State upsets Weber State as Weber State's trying to keep their season alive. They win 30-18. to um, Yeah, not a lot of offense in this game. Very, very tough loss for Weber State as I doubt they find the way in the FCS playoff, but who knows? The big sky's insane. South Dakota State, this is the game. Finds a way to beat North Dakota State. They finally did it. 27-19. And there was a Bleacher Report video where they had snapped it through the QB's legs to the running back, passed to like some receiver. Crazy-ass play. It's something, some schoolyard shit. Um, but the Jackrabbits, Pierre Strong Jr., 23 carries, 156 yards, and two touchdowns as they were able to slow the run game of the Bison and Jackson Janky. Six catches, 118 yards. Down go the bison. Love every second of it. Sick of them winning shit all the time. Um, what else did we have? That was a big one. James Madison beats Campbell 51 to 14. Oh, this was a big one as well. Um the Montana State Bobcats, man, beating the high flying Eastern Washington Eagles. Did not expect that. Uh Matthew McKay, 17 to 30, 253, a touchdown and a pick. But Isaiah Afonsi, 32 carries, 217 yards for a 6.8 average and a tutty. And Lance McCutcheon, 5 catches, 150 yards and a tutty at a 67-yard long ball. That high-flying offense for the Eagles, not as high-flying. Eric Berry, 21 of 31, 214 yards and 2 touchdowns. The Eagles didn't even turn the ball over, but only had 200, oh, excuse me, 314 yards on the day compared to Montana State's 544. What a shocker. Some good stuff in week 10 of the FCS. What do we got up this week? Whew, Sanford has to play Florida. Sorry. Florida looks like shit, though. Let's see. Sam Houston, the undefeated number one, taking on Eastern Kentucky, who's 6-3. That's a 10 a.m. Pacific game on Saturday. The 6-3 Salukis taking on Indiana State. That's 4-5 on the road. See if the Salukis get back in the win column. 7-1 Princeton taking on 5-3 Yale. <clears throat> South Dakota 6-3 taking on South Dakota State. Nice rivalry game happening there. That's a 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. Pacific game. The Grizz looking to stay back in the win column, move up the ranks as their number nine in FCS football. They are take, um, going on the road to Northern Arizona. No trap game here. Missouri State taking on Northern Iowa. Big game for both teams. Missouri State 6-3, Northern Iowa 5-4. William & Mary hosting James Madison. That's a huge game. William & Mary 6-3, James Madison 8-1. UC Davis, 8-1, hosting Eastern Washington, 7-2. That's another huge game. Big Sky, man. If I look at the rankings right now, I think there's five Big Sky teams in here. So Montana's number nine. That's all that matters. No, I'm just kidding. So you got Montana State, three. 
UC Davis, six. Eastern Washington, seven. Montana, nine. That's four. Sac State, 12. So five. And uh, Weber's right out there. Six teams. Half the conference is the FCS bangers, as a lot of the other conferences, big dogs, Georgia Southern, Appalachian State, um, Coastal Carolina, have all gone up. Come on, Montana. Come on, Montana. Leave the FCS. Let's be bowl eligible. Come on. Let's go to the Sun Belt or some shit. I'm just teasing. But I would like that to happen. When I was in college, that was supposed to happen. And then everything that could just ruin everything happened. Anyways, tonight, some good college football action in FBS world. 21 Pittsburgh hosting North Carolina. I'm actually probably going to watch that over the Thursday night football game. This is going to be fun. Watch Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, battle it out. I'm sure there's going to be lots of offense. Not a lot of defense. Um, what else we got? Boise State hosting Wyoming tomorrow night on FS1, 6 p.m. Pacific. See how bad my Cowboys are. We'll see how relevant they can be living through that run game. Fingers crossed. Penn State host, hosting Michigan 9 early morning Saturday. I'm taking Penn State. At home, as the dogs. Pretty similar teams, in my opinion, but I think the home field advantage does the trick. Baylor hosting Oklahoma. Baylor can't beat TCU. I'm going to go boomer sooner, baby. I think this is going to be not as close as people expect. Number 17, Auburn hosting Mississippi State. That's going to be a good game. I'm taking Auburn. What else we got? Tennessee hosting Georgia. I'm sure Georgia will roll. Ohio State hosting Purdue. Purdue now 19, which is grossly overrated. I'm going to take the Buckeyes at home, though. Number 20, Iowa hosting Minnesota. This is going to be an ugly game. I think Minnesota finds a way to win as that Iowa offense is putrid. Taking the dog there. Iowa is a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Florida State hosting Miami. Let's see how Van Dyke can do and continue to keep Miami rolling. Texas Tech hosting Iowa State. That'll be a decent Big 12 matchup. I'm taking Iowa State on the road. They're favored by 10.5. Michigan State hosting Maryland. Taking Michigan State, obviously. Ole Miss hosting Texas A&M, 4 p.m. Pacific on ESPN. Huge SEC game. I'm going with Ole Miss in this one. Show you my underrated team beating the overrated team. A&M is actually a 2.5 point favorite on the road. Virginia 6-3 hosting Notre Dame. This is a potential decent game for Notre Dame. I'm not that high on Virginia, but I'm not that high on Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame's the favorite by 5.5 on the road. I'm going to go with Notre Dame, but it's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on. So is this one, Wake Forest hosting number 16, North Carolina State. Wake Forest favorite two at home. I'm going to go with Wake Forest as they probably kick NC State out of the rankings. Four and five LSU looking to stay relevant. They host Arkansas, the 25th ranked Hogs. They're two and a half. Hogs are two and a half point favorite on the road. I'm going to take them and I'm taking them to cover. <clears throat> Oklahoma State hosting TCU. I would assume Oklahoma State wins their 13 point favorites at home. So I'm taking them. And that's your action this week in the FBS, man. Fucking football, baby. I love it. It's November. It's football season. Get your sweats on. Kick your legs up. But we can't kick our legs up for this because, boy, oh, boy, did we have some fucking action in the MMA world. Best fight card, best fights I've seen of my life. 
Madison Square Garden just brings the goddamn crazy out of these motherfuckers. Woo-wee! Well, in the UFC world, Muslim Salikov is booked against Michelle Pieta, which is a fun fight because Pieta will be doing some crazy-ass shit. Uh, Diego Fieta fighting Matsuz Gamrot. That's going to be another fun fight. See Fieta back on the octagon. And bummer news, Jorge Masvidal pulling out of the fight against Leon Edwards due to injury. Um, Leon Edwards calls him a coward, says he's going to chill out and wait for Usman. Does the UFC, are they going to allow that? I have no clue. Um, Kazmat Chimaev instantly is like, yo, let's fight. I think it should be Kazmat versus Leon. I don't think Leon's ready for the title right away. Plus, he's going to have to wait for Kamaru. Just fucking fight him, dude. You already got the fight booked. You've already been in fight camp. That's a lot different of a fight to prepare for, though. Striker versus grappler, man. I don't know if Leon could win that fight. Cosmot keeps proving me wrong, man. But how about UFC 268? So I'm hyped all week. I'm watching the embeddeds. I'm getting fucking hyped. I'm listening to the interviews. You know, doing the whole thing and, and, and knowing that the fights are booked that are on this card, I know it's going to be a spectacular show. But just watching people with the fucking uh, Madison Square Garden, hyping them up, it was a fun fun week i mean the fight conference colby covington is talking hella shit he even got a a reporter booed in the pre-fight press conference because he's trying to ask some fucking stupid ass question and he was like get this guy out of here i mean it was just a show um and then all of a sudden gaichi chandler booked as the opening fight on the main card i mean you want to get people in their seats boy you put that on the main card uh, that's not why uh, Trevor Whitman, the OG that he is, has Gaethje, Rose, and Usman. So he can't, you know, do pads, do mitts, warm him up, do everything. And because he does mitts with Rose, he puts that fight first so that he has separation between Rose and then Kamaru later. Well, MSG was ready for that fight. I wasn't. I thought I was, but God damn. We'll talk about that in a second. But what a week. What a week. What a card. What a life, man. Uh, elsewhere in mixed martial arts, Canelo Alvarez knocks out Caleb Plant in the 11th round by TKO. I'm surprised it took to the 11th. There was a fun video that came up of them boxing each other, saying, I'm pretty good, right? This is fun, right? Uh, it, was, it was cool to see. I almost didn't believe it was actually their voices. But Canelo staying with another title, staying the, the man of boxing. Speaking of boxing, Triller setting up the event for the Fury Paul card Darren Williams is going to take on Frank Gore heavyweight how the fuck I mean Darren Williams man he wasn't that big he was wasn't big at all the fact that he's gonna take on Frank Gore who is a goddamn tank like bruh let's see what Wikipedia says so he's 6'3 they had him at 200 pounds so I'm sure he's rocking like 220 but you're going to take on Frank Gore, bro. You're trying to get CTE. I mean, Frank Gore is taking hits. He's probably fucked up. But, like, you seen that, man? There's no way that Darren Williams is going to win. Let's see if there's any odds on this. Odds for Darren Williams versus Frank Gore. The fact that this shit's happened is comical, man. Early odds. Da, da, da. Although... Wow, Frank Gore is the underdog, bro. What do they think? He's so muscular he's going to tire out? 
Might have to throw some cash on that. Probably not a good move. Either way, shit's crazy. But even crazier, UFC 268. Outside of the fights that we had dove into, how about Chris Barnett with the flying hook kick? They called it a flying wheel kick. He said it's a hook kick. I'll call it the hook kick. That motherfucker, he's fun with the pregame dance, hyping himself up. I mean, I talked about him on his uh, UFC debut and kind of the character that he is and how he got to the Uf- UFC, but he is a fucking blast, man. His interview with Ariel Hawani on the MMA Hour was great. And what a great start. I mean, that's early prelims we're talking about. On the card as a whole, I went 5-5 five and five on picks. Most of the main card I got right. A lot of the earlier fights I you know, didn't do as well. But who gives a shit, man? Um, I got the big fights right, and the best fight card I've ever seen had transpired. Just to give you some stats, UFC 268 featured a grand total of 1,973 significant strikes landed. That's a new UFC single event record. The previous was UFC 238, which featured Cejudo versus Marias, which featured 1,818. Bangers. So this fight, Ian Gary, first round knockout over Jordan Williams. What a pretty crazy fight. You know, Ian Gary, the future of Ireland, the confident young man, 23 years old. Jordan Williams, Dana White Contender Series alum, 0-2 in the UFC. He's got to get a win. I put my money on the dog, Jordan Williams. I, I didn't know what this young kid could do. In the first round, I was pretty confident. I mean, Jordan was definitely the aggressor. He was winning the fight and even had Gary rocked for a second. But then he got sloppy. He was too confident. And Gary found the perfect, precise shot. And it was fight over. Um, He got sloppy and got sat on his ass. You know, I didn't have this on my parlay, thank goodness, even though I didn't win. But, uh, yeah, I mean, shit was crazy. I I was a little surprised. The momentum of the fight, I thought Williams definitely had a shot. I I wasn't... I mean, the kid's 23. It's his UFC debut. He looks good. Does he look John Jones? Holy shit, this guy's going to be a title holder one day. I don't know. But when I saw him weigh in, man, he's big. He's a big boy. So we'll see what he can grow into. The sky's the limit. I don't know if I'm as high as on him as a lot of others, though. Well, before Gary caught Jordan, he landed 24 total and 22 significant strikes. Um, Williams now is 0-3 in the UFC while Gary's stock is shooting up. At only 23, it seems like he wants to attack this the right way on Ariel Hawani. He did it before the card, after the card. He talked about taking it slow, going back to Ireland. Yeah, you know, sharpen your saw. Don't rush it. I'm sure the UFC doesn't want to rush him either. I do think next for him, though, a fight against Mickey Gall, that would be fun. I wouldn't be surprised. I've already seen stuff on Twitter, but uh, that's the next fight if you ask me. I'm parched. And then this fight, I mean, these two guys in this weight class, such young studs, seeing these guys that are this high level at this age, you know, 23, 24, just like Gary, it's pretty impressive. I got this fight wrong, busted one of my two parlays, but Nasser Dean Amavov with the second round TKO over Edmund Shabazian, what a fun young prospect fight in middleweight. You know, the first round we saw good striking from both fighters, Edmund got the takedown, but once Nasser Dean was on top, that was it. I mean, he went for submissions and got the dominant position. The most dominant position you could do where you're basically just fucking someone over. He put him in the crucifix, man. 
I mean, Ed Edmund definitely needs to work on his ground game as he's lost his last two fights on the ground. But he's only 23. He's got time. Uh, Nasserdine landed 64 total strikes and 42 significant. He also had four submission attempts. Edmund now drops to number 15 in the class while Nasserdine moves up to 12. I'd love to see Kevin Holland take on Edmund, man. Uh, they make it a striking battle, I'm sure. That would be fun. Next level fight right there. But if that's not the case, if he does want to fight, uh, what is it, Kyle Dawkins now that he, he had his fill-in fighter pull out, that might happen. So maybe Christoph Jocko would make sense. Um, Nasserdine's up in the rankings. There's not a lack of options for him. I don't know why I didn't put this down. Let's see. Middle eight. Nasser D, number 12. I mean, give him maybe a little Kevin Gastelum. Maybe Uriah Hall. There's definitely options, right? He's got options. Sports in the top 10. Um, those are fights that I think would be good for Imabov. Meanwhile... Another, like, what the fuck fight, you know? Phil Haas, straight dominating Chris Curtis. But Chris Curtis with the first round TKO over Phil Haas. This was more extreme than the Gary fight where one fighter looked to be doing well to then just got pieced up. I mean, Haas was completely dominating Curtis. He looked way bigger. He looked faster. He looked stronger. I think he was just getting a little too confident. And then Curtis gave him everything he got, everything he had, at the right moment, which gave him a delayed reaction, but sat his ass down. Haas is the better fighter, but sometimes you get caught. You know, Curtis is such an awesome story. He almost retired. He's been in the fight game for a long time, all these different promotions. I thought he had actually made his UFC debut in the, in, back in the day, lost, and then fought some other fights. Because he did win the Contender Series. He didn't get the, the um, contract. Um, but this is his UFC debut against Phil Haas in MMSG. You could just see the gratitude and how happy he was. Really cool moment. Uh, statistically, Haas landed 49 total and 48 significant strikes versus Curtis's 22 total and 29 signif or 21 significant. He also had the knockdown. I'd love to see Action Man against uh, Julian Marquez or Puna Soriano. Uh, him and Puna would be wild for Haas. You know, this definitely slows down his burst to the scene. But a rebound against Alex Piera would be a lot of fun. The the kickboxing champ, Izzy, living off Izzy's name. Or Bruno Silva would make sense to me. Then we got the vets. Bobby Green with the first round TK over Al Iquinta. You know, Al hasn't fought in two years. And it definitely showed. He was slow. I didn't see any head movement. And he was hesitant to let his hands loose. Meanwhile, you know, Bobby Green with his hands down is fucking cocking away. Um, Green has definitely been active. This was his second fight this year, and he just completely dominated Al, man. Uh, in Al's hometown, he only landed 10 shots to Green's 29. I'm not too sure where Al goes from here, honestly. He's got three losses in the past two and a half years. If you're going to book a fight, give him Jeremy Stevens. Give him Jeremy. Let those two vets fucking battle it out. That, that makes sense for me. For Green, he looks to be or he's starting a new winning streak after two losses to the young stud combination of Rafael Fiziev and Tiago Moises. Two really good young kids. Uh, I'd like to say, see him take on Drew Dober or Armand Sukarian. I think these would be great fights in that weight class. 
And then the prelim, head, prelim headliner, Alex Pereira with a second-round knockout over Andreas Michaelitis. You know, it's fun to see the kickboxing champ in the octagon after all the hype that he had. He's very big. He's long. He has a nasty clinch. Those are my takeaways. But what he really did was show his experience. He was calm, cool, and collected as Andreas came in right away, went for the takedown, tried to gain, uh, grind him up on the cage, but he was able to get into the round two and really find his, his, his moment. Statistically, Alex had 25 total and 11 significant strikes with a knockdown versus Andreas's 11 total and three significant strikes. He also had two takedowns. I'm excited to see who he gets next, but I think Alex would be a great matchup against Phil Haas, as previously mentioned. If not him, give him Zach Cummings, which makes sense to me. For Michaelitis, you could give him Andre Petrosky, the ultimate fighter guy who's in the UFC, or Roman Kopilov. Those would make sense. But Alex Pierre on his way up. Give him Phil Haas. Let's see if he's legit. Moving to the main card, man. God damn, this is the best fight I have ever, ever seen. And it felt like literally I was a rich king drinking wine, eating chicken, watching these motherfuckers go to war. Well, Justin Gaethje, I can't believe this went all the rounds with a unanimous decision over Michael Chandler. Um, you know, they said they were going to start with the boom and boy, did they deliver. I couldn't imagine being an MSG during this shit. I mean, the, everyone was in their seats. The place was crazy busy. And they never have that happen that early. This felt like this was the finale fight, but it was just the start of the card, man. Uh, this was a show out for both fighters and a straight brawl. Basically, both fighters who are wrestlers had an agreement not to wrestle, kind of just like a man law thing. And even though they're both wrestlers, um, I can't believe this fight went all three rounds. Both fighters came hot, hot out the gate and landed huge leg kicks. Chandler likes to come at, come at you hot with like a combo of, or flurry of combos, and he was able to do so. I mean, he had some landed some shots that almost took Gaethje out, which is a very hard task, obviously, but most fighters would have been lights out. Um, Gaethje turned this fight into a brawl after round one, which I don't believe favored Chandler. You could tell Chandler probably in his mental state was like, Kind of looking for some takedowns, kind of fake some takedowns, but never went. As a fan, I was pretty litty. And I was like, don't you fucking wrestler. Don't you turn this into a wrestling match. Because I had bet on Gaethje and wanted him to win. And my parlay was hitting at this point. Um, but I think that definitely favored Gaethje and probably didn't favor uh, Chandler. As, you know, Gaethje could take a different kind of beating. Those leg kicks, both of them had fucking one leg. Um... But Gaethje wore it like a champ. I mean, Chandler's face was fucked up. Gaethje looked like he just came out of the store. Um, I think the big light, lights and the hype of MSG got to Chandler as he went with the brawl. But it cost him and looked like roadkill after the fight. His face was fucked up. Uh, Chandler did look to go for those couple takedowns, like I said. But I think he started getting sloppy, let his ego go in the way and his pride get in the way with, with why he wanted to fight that way. After the loss, he even came out of the ring and was trying to hype people up. But now his opportunity for a title in the UFC doesn't seem to be realistic. Statistically, Justin had 133 total and 116 significant strikes with a knockdown versus Chandler's 104 total and 103 significant with a takedown. You know, Gaethje stays at number two while Chandler stays at number five. But like I said, potentially the best fight I've ever seen. 
and it followed the amazing mojo that was set by the prelims. Lots of knockouts, lots of brutality. I do believe, like I said, Chandler's title dreams are all but gone. He's already kind of hyped up this potential Conor McGregor fight, uh, which I think would be a win-win for everyone. And, hey, if not, maybe give him Tony Ferguson. He'd probably smoke Tony. Tony's chin's gone. But for Gaethje, I do believe he gets the winner of Dustin and Charles for the title. But goddamn, men, take a bow. Take a bow. That shit was wild. This fight's wild, too. Shane Burgos with the unanimous decision over Billy Quarantillo. How this lasted all three blows my fucking mind. But this was a show to follow that other fight. You have to follow that fight after this. You can't have it a wrestling fight. This was never going to be a wrestling fight. But uh, Billy was relentlessly moving forward. Burgos had very high volume and striking to Billy's head through this fight. And Billy knew he needed to get this fight to the ground. He obviously tried to do so, but he was 0 for 14 on takedowns, which is very impressive by Shane in his defense. Statistically, Burgos landed 232 total and 193 significant strikes versus Billy's 196 total and 194 significant strikes. You know, this gives Burgos a new winning streak after dropping two close fights in a row. And in his prime, no one is going to want to face Burgos at number 14. Uh, I think a fight against Arnold Allen or Sadiq Youssef would make sense. Uh, and those would be fucking bangers. Now for Billy, this is a one-loss losing streak. He's lost two of his last three. But he's in his prime as well and needs to get that momentum back. So I like him against Alex Caceres or Daniel Pineda. And then the fight that torched my parlay. Frank or Marlon Vera with the third round TKO over Frankie Edgar. You know, this was a good back and forth fight for the first two rounds, honestly. It was classic Frankie as he was in and out, landing volume of strikes for the scorecard. But Marlon just looks so much bigger, which is crazy because Frankie fought at bigger weights before this. Uh, but he was just getting in the bigger shots, landed more, uh, had the better damage. And when round three came, Marlon basically felt Frankie's bursts of, of flurries and just kept coming forward, man, and landed an Anderson Silva-like front kick right on the fucking button. And that was a crazy photo finish, that face of Frankie's, the photo of his face. I mean, this shit was just wild, man. Um, Marlon looked just the bigger, better fighter, though, at the end of the day. I was pretty impressed by him. I've... I've Considered him quite overrated. Well, Marlon had 110 total strikes and 88 significant with the knockdown and a submission attempt versus Frankie's 138 total and 94 significant. He also had three takedowns. But to be honest, I'm not sure where Frankie goes from here. You know, the vet drops to number 12. He's 40 years old on a two-fight losing streak in the new weight class. I just feel like he doesn't have anything less to uh, prove like save your head man call it a career so yeah i'm not going to predict the next fight for him but marlon he moves up to number 11 he's on that two fight winning streak i i think a fight against coney staven or marlon Moraes makes sense give him the wrestler that nobody wants and marlon uh another vet that's not you know past his prime but would still be a great matchup <laughs> and then finally finally the belt title fights Thug Rose, baby. Rose Namayunis, the split decision victory over Wei Lei Zhang. You know, 
really, if you look at it, this was the fight I think a lot of fans originally expected in the first matchup. Waylay was continually coming forward. She's just a big brick shithouse. And she was going for takedowns, but didn't have a lot of offense. She was more so countering Rose's attacks. After this win, I don't know who in the division can really challenge Thug Rose, to be honest. She's just continually improving. She's in her prime. But statistically, Rose had 130 total and 86 significant strikes with two takedowns and a reversal versus Zhang's 162 total and 83 significant strikes. She also had five takedowns. This fight was very close in the championship rounds. Uh, was very close, but in the championship rounds where you need to beat the champ, you want to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. I feel like Rose really got the job done there. She fixed up on some of her mistakes earlier in the fight. It was very close, though. I mean, the, the, the aggression, the forward motion of Zhang was a lot for Rose to handle. Rose was, you know, really battling through Zhang's motion on top, but she landed the more significant strikes, and those championship rounds paid dividend. Carla Esparza, to Rose's point, is really the only fight that makes sense for the next title uh, fight and also allow, allows her to avenge that tough loss that she took to her in the Ultimate Fighter. But Rose, now she's in the midst of a three-fight winning streak. For Zayn, getting a rematch with Joanna would be sick. Or maybe give her Marina Rodriguez, who's kind of the up-and-comer in the division. I think those would be the best fights. And then Marina wins that. She's right there in for the title shot. But um, great fight. Fun to watch on this fucking seat of your pants the whole time. What a goddamn card. What set us up for Kamaru Usman with a unanimous decision over Colby Covington. Unlike the other fights, I knew this would be a banger, but I did expect it to go five. Um, this wasn't as good as the first meeting, and it wasn't as close as the Rose fight. You know, Kamaru's really, truly leveled up since the first matchup and is the better, cleaner, crisper striker than Colby. Colby changed camps, tried to, you know, reinvent himself. But, dude, Kamaru, the past few fights, it's just crazy how much he's leveled up. Colby's definitely been the best matchup for Kamaru when it comes to competition. But he couldn't get Usman down, man. He was 0 for 11 in takedown attempts. Statistically, Usman landed 158 total and 123 significant strikes with a takedown and two knockdowns versus Colby's 119 total and 107 significant. Usman needs a big-time matchup out of this division as, you know, he's the pound-for-pound number one and is headed towards GOAT status with 19 straight wins and 15 of those in the UFC. If I had a pick in the division, you know, it would be Leon Edwards, which now is very feasible. Um, If not, Vicente Luque. Outside of that, I know he doesn't want to fight Izzy. The next best shot is Bobby Knuckles taking down Izzy, which I'm kind of leaning towards. And then he has an opportunity to go up in weight classes. Uh, but he's goddamn great, man. I would probably go John Silva, GSP, Kamaru right now. So top four in UFC history. For Colby, I'd love to see him fight Masvidal, win or lose, against Edwards if that fight happens. And if not, he could fight Vicente Luque as well. But goddamn, man, what a freaking card. Again, bravo, fighters. You attended an MSG. God bless you. Uh, but this week, we got a fight night card back to the Apex. Another earlier card. The prelims starting at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. for the main card on ESPN+. So let's dive in. In the prelims, we got Kennedy, the African Savage, Nachukwu, 29-year-old fighter with a 9-1 record, taking Daan Seda Jung, 
27-year-old fighter with the 14-2-1 record. You know, this is a good fight amongst the up-and-coming light heavyweights. Kennedy, he's on a three-fight winning streak with two of them this year. He has a four-and-a-half-inch reach advantage in this fight. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum. Right outside the Dana White Contender Series, they gave this man Paul Craig, which just shows you how highly the UFC thinks of him. Six of his nine wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Jung is an orthodox fighter out of the Korean top team. He's on a one-fight winning streak after the draw against Sam Alvey, but is 3-0-1 in the UFC, and 10 of his 14 wins are via knockout. We have Mark the Bone Crusher Daikis, the 28-year-old fighter with the 14-4 record, taking on Rafael the Turn Alves, 31 years old with the 19-10 record. You know, Mark's out of ATT, America Top Team, so you know he trains with killers. Uh, he's a purple belt in BJJ. He also has a five-inch reach advantage in this fight. He did lose his last fight against a very good Rafael Fiziev by unanimous decision, but was fight of the fight of the night in July of 2020. So he's had over a year off. Rafael is 0-1 since his contender series win to get in the UFC. He previous previously fought in Titan FC. I believe the Bone Crusher is better everywhere and is going to get back in the win column to move back up in the rankings and the deepest class in the UFC light, which is UFC lightweight division. So then we have Sean the Sniper Woodson, 29 years old with an 8-1 and record, versus Colin Anglin, 28 years old with an 8-2 and record. And Sean was undefeated in Shamrock FC, and he won against Terrence McKinney in Dana White Contender Series. Since he is 2-1 in the UFC and coming off an impressive split decision against Yusuf Zalal, he does train out of Sanford MMA. Seven of his 11 wins are via knockout. He is a brown belt in BJJ, and he is a Dana White Contender Series alum, and three of his last wins are in the UFC. He does have a 7-inch reach advantage. While Colin, who fought in a few promotions before his Dana White Contender Series victory, he uh, has lost his first UFC fight in July via second-round knockout, but is having a quick turnaround. He is a pretty big underdog here, but we will see what he is capable of against a very good Sean Woodson. I'm taking Sean. I'm taking Mark Diakis and Kennedy and Shukwu. Put him on the parlay. Mark it down. Let's get that bread. Uh, moving on, we have Miguel Carmel Thunder Beza, 29 years old with a 10-1 and record. Taking on Chaos, the Ox Fighter Williams, who's 27 years old with a 12 and 2 record. Now, Beza is an Orthodox fighter with a black belt in BJJ. Since his Dana White Contender Series fight in summer of 2019, he is 3 and 1 in the UFC, and he lost to a very good Santiago Ponzibio this June by unanimous decision, which was fight of the night. His past three fights in the UFC have been performance of the night or fight of the night and seven of his 10 wins are via knockout. Now, Chaos is a blue belt in BJJ. He is on a one-fight winning streak and is 3-1 in the UFC. Six of his 12 wins are via knockout. You know, this is going to be a fun, fun prelim fight and a banger for sure, but I think Beza is very talented, and he is just going to climb the rankings in no time. So I'm going to take Beza, put that shit on my parlay, let's get that bread. On the women's side of things, Cynthia Cavillo, 34 years old, with a 9-3-1 record, and then number 5 next to her name, taking on Andrea KGB Lee, 32 years old, with a 12-5 and record, and the number 12 next to her name. 
Now, Cavillo has a background in BJJ, wrestling, and Muay Thai. She trains out of the American Kickboxing Academy, is on a two-fight losing streak against Adraj, who steamrolled her in the first round in September, and Caitlin Chukagian. She has beat really good competition, like Jessica I, Jawan Calderwood. She had a draw against Marina Rodriguez. And Andrea, she has a background in Muay Thai, BJJ, and Kyushin. She does have a black belt in Kyushin and a brown belt in BJJ and Judo. She previously fought in Invicta as well. Uh, she is on a one-fight winning streak against uh, her last fight against Antonina Shevchenko. That was in May after coming off three straight losses. She does have a five-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. You know, this is going to be a very tough test for the KGB, uh, but it's going to be a fun fight of two very well-rounded women fighters. But I have to go with the favorite here. I'm going with Cavillo. Put that on the parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. And then the prelim headliner, again early this Saturday, Tiago Moises, 26 years old, with the 15-5 and record and the number 15 next to his name, taking on Joel L. Phenomeno Alvarez, 28 years old with an 18-2 and record. Now, Tiago is a southpaw fighter out of American Top Team with a black belt in BJJ. Moises has a one-fight losing streak against Islam Makachev. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum from the LFA and RFA and is 4-3 and three in the UFC, but has fought really good fighters such as Benil Dariush, Bobby Green, and Islam, and he's only 26. Joel is 3-1 and one in the UFC. He's on a three-fight winning streak. He came from the AFL and has a 6.5 reach advantage, 6.5-inch reach advantage. 16 of his 18 wins are via submission. I see this being a very interesting fight, but I like the experience of Tiago Moises, and I think he's going to find a way to get the job done. If it gets on the ground, it'll be interesting. Obviously, Tiago is a black belt, so this fight will gain a lot of clarity of how good Moises is and if Joel is ready for the big stage. But I'm taking Tiago, put him on my parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. Heading to the main card, we got Sang Yadong, the youth and talent in the UFC, man. I keep saying these kids' ages, 26, 23. They're just so well-prepared coming out of school, prepping for a life in MMA and the UFC, prepping multiple mixed martial arts. And Sang Yadong is one of them. He's 23 with a 17-5-1 record. Insane. And he's ranked number 15. He's taking on Julio Arce, who's 32 with a 17-4 and record. You know, Sang fights out of Team Alpha Male and is coming off a winning in August against Casey Kenny. He has fought very good competition, but he's been in the UFC as the bantamweight division is hella deep. He has fought twice in 2021 and is trying to keep that momentum going. Julio is a second-degree MMA black belt under Tiger Shulman. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum and is 4-2 since entering the UFC. He is on a one-fight winning streak of his own, and he has a three-inch reach advantage. A lot of reach advantages in this card. Song is a great striker and is locked in right now. And I believe he will be too much for Julio as he tries to move up the bantamweight rankings. I'm taking Song. Put him on my parlay. Let's get that bread. And another woman fight. We have Felicia the Phenom Spencer, 30 years old with an 8-3 record, taking on Leah Nidis Letson, 29 years old with a 5-2 record. Now Felicia... She's on a skid as she's lost two in a row in three of her last four. 
Her last win was in February of 2020. She does have a background in BJJ, kickboxing, and taekwondo. She has a black belt in taekwondo and BJJ. And she's a vet that came from Invicta. But she really needs to get back in the win column here. Um, this is a big fight for her. This is Leah's first fight since 2018, where she got a win and prior to that fought in Invicta in 2017. She had the layoff due to health issues and almost called it quits. She does believe she is kind of reinvigorated and is a new fighter, and she has a three-inch reach advantage. I haven't seen Letson fight, but I know Spencer's tough and really needs a win here. You know, Leah has the unknown to her advantage, not know what to expect. But I'm going to go with my girl Felicia, put her on the parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. <clears throat> Meanwhile, we got the big boys. We got Ben Rothwell, 40 years old, with a 39-13 and 13 record, versus Marcos Pizal Rogerio de Lima, 36 years old, with an 18-8-1 record. Now, Ben has a background in kickboxing and BJJ. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight winning streak against the now-famous uh, Chris Barnett. He does have a three-and-a-half reach advantage, and 28 of his 39 wins are via knockout. Now, Marcos trains out of ATT and is a black belt in BJJ. He is an Ultimate Fighter Brazil alum and is on a one-fight winning streak. 13 of his 18 wins are via knockout. So this should not last all three rounds. It's a true heavyweight banger. But I leave, I believe Marcos is, has more left in the tank and will find a way to get the job done. You know, Ben is obviously more experienced. But at 40 years old, especially in the heavyweight division, I believe he is closer to being done than fighting the best he has in his career. Not everyone's Glover Teixeira. So I'm going to take Marcos. I probably won't put this in my parlay, but I'm taking Marcos. And then the main event... We get blessed with 268. Now we're getting blessed with the Blessed Express, baby. Max, the Blessed Holloway, 29 years old, with the 22-6 and six record and the number one next to his name, taking in Yair Alpantera Rodriguez, 29 years old, with the 13-2 and two record and the number three next to his name. Debatably, Max is coming off one of the most impressive performances I've ever seen. Now, the Gaethje Chandler fight was just a fucking chaotic, fun fight as a fan. But the performance that Max had against Cater, insane. I call him Super San uh, Max now, right? Max is on a one-fight winning streak after losing his title defense and rematch to Volkanovski, which we all know about, even though I want, think he won the second time. He is a brown belt in BJJ. While Yair hasn't fought since October of 2019 when he fought and beat Jeremy Stevens. Yair has a fun style, and I think he's beginning to hit his prime, much like Max. They're both, what, 29? Both 29. Yair has a background in taekwondo and boxing, and a black belt in taekwondo. You know, stylistically, this will be a fun clinic of a fight to watch. It's just going to be beautiful. I do think Max is going to run through him, but can he get the finish? That's going to be the question. Now, Max needs this win to get the trilogy bout against Volkanovski that I and everyone should want to see. Uh, so I am taking Max. I, I think it does go to the decision. I hope he finds a way to finish it. But the matchup with the Ayer is splendid for fight fans. But put Max on that parlay, mark it down, and let's get that bread. 
So what do we have next? Next Saturday, we have another Apex card that starts a little later. It's a 3 p.m. Pacific main card start. That's the featured bout, Ketlin Vieira taking on old Misha Tate on ESPN+. Plus. The local legend, Misha Tate, to the 206. Fucking the fight game, man. The football is crazy. Fight's crazy. UFC, man, the talent that they have is just next level right now. So much youth, experience, veteran leadership. Shit's wild, boy. Well, let's talk NBA. The NBA season is early upon us. And bad news in the land of Cleveland. Colin Sexton suffering a torn meniscus. He's going to be out for quite some time. Uh, so their you know, future or franchise point guard is going to be out. For my Utah Jazz, Jordan Clarkson's games with a made streak. Games with a made three streak comes to an end. I don't remember what the streak was at. Let's see if Google will give it to me. Uh, 99 games he had a three-pointer made. Comes to an end. He started going cold. Now he's hot. Elsewhere in the NBA, um, we have a lot of action since last week's games. We'll try to highlight a couple, give some outstanding performances, and look at the standings. See if we're surprised. So last Wednesday, the Cavaliers upset the Blazers at home. My fantasy stud, Jarrett Allen, 24 points, 17 rebounds, 4 assists, double-double machine. The Pacers are able to beat the Knicks at home, and Miles Turner snaps for 25-13. and 13. The Sixers beat the Bulls at home. Seth Curry, 22 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. DeMar DeRozan still out there hooping, 37 points, 10 rebounds. The Raptors beat the Wizards 109 to 100. Fred Van Fleet 33 3 and 6. Bradley Bill 25 7 and 7. Um, the Raptors 6 and 3. Wizards 5 and 3. The Nets beat the Hawks last Wednesday at home 117 108. KD 32 7 and 5. DeAndre Hunter 26 2 and 1. The Grizz with a big win at home against the Nuggets. Jaron Jackson Jr. 22 8 and 2. Nikola Jokic, 34 and 11. It's crazy stats. The Mavericks beat the Spurs on the road. Villanova Nation, baby. Jalen Brunson out there hooping for Dallas, 31 and 10. 30 banger. Welcome to the NBA. And then the Warriors beating the Hornets, 114-92. Jordan Poole snaps for 31-3 and 1. And Miles Bridges, 32-9 and 2. Some youthful performances there. Head into that TNT doubleheader. Um, the Jazz beat the Hawks on the road. Jordan Clarkson, like I said, he's now the flamethrower again. 34-3. Trey Young, 21-4-7. The Celtics beat Miami on the road. Uh, Dennis Schroeder led the way with 14 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists. Bam Adebayo with 13-7. Heading into the weekend on Friday. The Wizards beat the Grizz, smoked the Grizz at home. Uh, Montrez Harrell, 18-8. The Wizards moved to 6-3. Very impressive. The Raptors lose at home to the Cavs. The Cavs keep winning, no Sexton at all. Darius Garland, 21 points, 1 rebound, 8 assists. The Bucks drop pretty ugly to the, to the Knicks at home. Grayson Allen had 22-5. Julius Randle, 32-12-4. Later in that day, we had the Blazers beating the Pacers 110-106 to move to 4-5. and five. 
CJ 27, 5, and 6. On Saturday, if you were watching bas- basketball in the midst of UFC and college or fo- college football, props to you. I did catch a little bit of this game. Miami beats the Jazz 118-115 at home. Best of the East, best of the West. Kyle Lowry, 20-12-10. Donovan Mitchell, 37-7-2. The Bulls lost to the Sixers at home. Joel with 30-16. The Bulls led by Zach Levine, 32-9-3. And And then the Mavs beating the Celtics, 107-104. Luka, 33-9. Jason Tatum, 32-11. The Suns beating the Hawks at home. Devin Booker, 38-6-4. Trey Young, 31-2-13 assists. And then the Trailblazers beating the Lakers at home, going to 5-5. The Lakers, 5-5. Yusuf Nurchik, 15-17. Malik Monk, 13-4-3. On Sunday, the Nets beat the Raptors on the road. James Harden, 28-10-8. Fred Van Fleet, 21-4-8. The Magic upset the Jazz on the road. Cole Anthony snaps for 33 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists. Rudy Gobert, Rudy, 25-15. and 15. The Wizards beat the Bucks 101-94. Bradley Bill, 35-8. and 8. Giannis, 29-18-5. The Clippers beat the Hornets at home. Paul George, 29-8. Miles Bridges, 21-4-6. Starting the week off. On Monday, the 76ers dropped to the Knicks at home. Julius Randle, 31-12. Andre Drummond, 14-25 and 25 rebounds. You need some boards. You call up Andre Drummond, boy. Um, the Bulls smoking the Nets at home. Zach Levine, 24-5-5. KD, 38-11 in defeat. What else? The Nuggets beating the Jazz at home. Nikola Jokic, 25-15. Jimmy Buckets, 31-5-8 in the defeat. Big issue here, Nikola Jokic hitting Markeith Morris from the back did not bode well. He gets suspended a game. Pretty nasty. Got some whiplash. Not cool. Uh, the Warriors beating the Hawks at home. Steph Curry with the 50-burger, 57-10. and 10. An ice trade, 28-3-9 in defeat. The Lakers outlast the Hornets to go over 500 in OT. Anthony Davis, the brow with 32-12. and 12. LaMelo Ball, 25, 16, and 11. On Tuesday, only three games. The Bucks beat the Sixers on the road. Giannis with 31 and 16. Tyrese Maxey with 31, 5, and 4. The young point guard looking good. Uh, the Jazz beat the Hawks again, this time at home. Donovan Mitchell, 27, 3, and 5. Kevin Horder, 28, 3, and 3. And the Clippers beat the Blazers at home. PG, 24, 9, and 7. Dame Lillard, 27-5-6. Last night on Wednesday, the Celtics smoking the Raptors at home. Scotty Barnes, 21-7 in defeat. Jason Tatum, 22-12-7. The Knicks losing to the Bucks at home. Pat Connaughton, 23 points off the bench, 9 rebounds, 5 assists. Derrick Rose leading the Knicks, 22-3-7. Um, the Bulls beat the Mavericks at home. The Bulls looking good, 8-3, 5-2 at home. Lonzo Ball, 21-6-6. Luka, 28-10. It's a bad day for Luka, and that's still great stats. The Nuggets move to 7-4. They beat the Pacers at home. Will Barton snaps for 30-6. Sabonis, 20 points, 19 rebounds. The Suns move to 7-3 as they beat the Blazers, uh, 119-109. 
Frank Kaminsky off the bench getting 31.7 rebounds. Dame Lillard, 28-7-7. And, and then a fun game last night. The Lakers somehow beat the Heat in overtime without LeBron. Russell Westbrook, triple-double, 25-12-14. Bam Adebayo, 28-10. So this week, always fun on Thursday. We got NBA TV doubleheader. Clippers hosting the Heat. Sixers hosting the Raptors. Jazz play the Pacers tonight. And the weekend, uh, Celtics 5-6 and six hosting the Bucks on ESPN on Friday. Grizzlies hosting the Suns. Nuggets hosting the Hawks. Warriors hosting the Bulls. That's pretty much must-see TV. It's, not, it's on ESPN. Saturday, Jazz and Heat again, this time in Utah. That'll be fun on NBA TV. Cavaliers hosting the Celtics on NBA TV. The Cavs, man, surprisingly 7-5. and five. Can they keep it going? Moving to Sunday, Hawks, Bucks. Hawks hosting the Bucks. Nuggets hosting the Trailblazers. Clippers hosting the Bulls. And then before the pod next week, we got Mavericks hosting the Nuggets Monday on NBA TV. The Lakers hosting the Bulls that night on NBA TV. And then Tuesday, the TNT doubleheader. Jazz hosting the Sixers. Nets hosting the Warriors. Those will be some fun ones. Clippers also hosting the Spurs. I mean, at the end of the day, you look at these standings, man. The Wizards, top of the East, 8-3, WTF. The Bulls, number 2, 8-3. The Cavs, number 6, 7-5. Celtics, Hawks, Pacers, all out of the running if it were to end today. It's super early. I know that a lot will change. I expect the Bulls to drop. The Wizards potentially to drop out. Uh, Insert Hawks, Celtics, maybe. In the West, not as outlandish of things happening. Uh, right outside the mix is the Kings and the Blazers. You know, the Pelicans with only one win without Zion, looking pretty rough. But it's so early. It's so early. But guess what we get to talk about now? College basketball, men's college basketball is back, baby. So we're going to talk about what had happened before the pod this week. Um, and we're going to look a, a little bit at the rankings um, as this is the first rankings of the season. And they're usually way off. But obviously, top five, you got Gonzaga, UCLA, Kansas, Nova, Texas. Rounding out the top 10, Michigan, Purdue, Baylor, Duke, Kentucky. My first reaction looking at this, I would say UCLA, they're going to be good. But number two, it's a little overrated in my book. Uh, Texas, same thing. Texas burnt me. I picked them on the business and buckets bracket last year on IG Live for you guys. Definitely regret that one. Should have picked Baylor. I knew it. And then Purdue, I believe, is overrated as well. Underrated, I think Duke, a little underrated. I think Memphis is going to be good. They have Memphis at 12. I think they could be higher. Oregon is 13. I think they're going to be solid. Ohio State, 17. Uh, they look pretty rough in the in the gates. And then UConn, I think, is underrated. They're 24. I think they will move up as a powerful Big 12 squad. Did not mean to do that. All right. So what did, what did we have happen in college hoops this week? Well, Tuesday, there's a lot of sloppy games, a lot of big dogs, little dogs. But Kansas beats Michigan State 87-74. Ocha, Ochi, Abaji, 29 points, two rebounds, one assist. You already know, Nova beating Mount St. Mary's by 40. Justin Moore with the breakout game. He's going to be a big piece for this team. 27-2-7. Texas rolls Houston Baptist. Courtney Ramey, 14 points to lead the way. 
Uh, Purdue rolls Bellarmine, led by Sasha Stefanovic, 23 points, 2 rebounds, 3 assists. The Battle of the Blue Blood, State Farm Classic, Duke takes down Kentucky, number 9 Duke, number 10 Kentucky, 79-71. Oscar to Shwebwe, 17 points, 19 rebounds for uh, Kentucky. For Duke, Paolo Banchero, 22-7-2. Number, number 11 ranked Illinois rolls Jackson State, Memphis rolls Tennessee Tech, Oregon rolls Southern Oregon. Memphis with letters by Jalen Duran, 15-6-2. Oregon led by Will Richardson, 22 and 4. Alabama rolls Louisiana Tech. Keon Ellis, 18, 9 and 3. Number ranked 15, Houston rolls Hostra. You know, I mean, these are ugly. Arkansas beating Mercer. Ohio State barely beats Akron. EJ Liddell, 25 and 11, as they win by one. Get outperformed by Akron in the second half. Tennessee rolls UT Martin. North Carolina rolls Loyola, Maryland. Maryland rolls Quinnipiac. Auburn rolls Moorhead State. St. Bonacher rolls Siena. Um, Kyle Lofton, 17, 6, and 6, is there in the top 25. And then UConn rolls uh, Central Connecticut and Navy upsets the first upset ranked team, Virginia. Um, as Virginia is ranked 25, they'll be out real quick. Yesterday, Michigan uh, smokes Buffalo. Hunter Dickinson, 27, 6, and 1. Florida State hits triple digits over Pennsylvania. Malik Osborne, 18 and 13. Uh, Maryland plays George Washington today. Nothing too of note. A lot of sloppy games on Friday. But the big one, Friday night, late night game, 8.30 Pacific on ESPN2. Number two ranked UCLA hosting. Number fourth ranked Villanova, baby. I'm taking Nova, the dogs on the road. Got to make a bet on that bad boy. Um, they don't have the odds on here right now, but... That's a huge time game. Two top five teams on a Friday night. Book me in. Um, on Saturday, Gonzaga hosting number five, uh, Texas, Saturday night, 730 Pacific. That's definitely one to keep an eye on. Monday, nothing Sunday, nothing Monday. On Tuesday, Nova is going to be 3-0. Yep, 3-0 taking on Howard, which is not a big game. It's just that's the squad, you know. Houston, 15th ranked, taking on Virginia, who was 25th ranked. They should fall out. Uh, Seton Hall, um, taking on Michigan. That's a potential decent game. And that's all what's happening before the pod. But I'm going to tell you guys, well, I love me some college basketball, and I'm happy we get to talk about that. And Villanova looks like a true contender, so obviously, you know, I'm smiling from uh, cheek to cheek, baby. All right, what a fucking show, episode 54. We ain't done yet. No more baseball segment, but the stove is warming up. I'm an Angels fan, and I need some stove action. Uh, the Astros extend Dusty Baker a year, obviously. Um, you know, cap, cap off to Buster Posey retiring. Three-time World Series champ, seven-time All-Star, Rookie of the Year, MVP, Gold Glove winner, four-time Silver Slugger, Batting champion, career 300, uh, 302 average, 372, 460 slash hitter as a catcher. What a fucking career, my man. And then Jorge Soler, baby. Guy that I always have in my fantasy team, late, late round stash pick. Getting the World Series M MVP for those Atlanta Braves. And then uh, a couple other quick hitters. USA Soccer taking action this week. 
Friday, they have the big matchup against Mexico. And on Tuesday, they have another uh, CONCACAF final round matchup. Let's see. USA men's soccer. That will happen Friday at 610. Damn, I got that. I got a little bit of Nova action. Let's go. Well, that's episode 54. Thanks for tuning in. Like, subscribe. Help me spread the word as this baby gets growing and blossoming. I'm pushing that one year point. I'm going to go hard at some sponsors, really try to promote this thing. This has all been internal, organic growth. Hope you guys are enjoying it. See you next week.